Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. So it, we are now fully in the draft season. Obviously, in the case of college football, uh, all of the games that are between individual teams are well over. And we have all-star season, which is really a part of draft season, uh, which will lead us essentially to the combine. And the combine is the playoffs, in essence, for those of us who play in draft season. And then obviously you finish up with the Super Bowl, which is the draft itself. So a lot has happened, and a lot is still coming down the pike. A lot is more still happening. We now have officially... I guess the count is in of all the players that have decided to renounce their remaining eligibility and enter the draft. Uh, there are many expected names and then a few not-so-expected names, uh, some of whom have little to no chance of being drafted and many of whom have little to no chance of either playing in the NFL. And I see I've been joined by gentleman James Coburn. How are you doing, Jim? Pretty good. Just, just to add that I'll... I'll basically abandoned the team and, you know, let down all, all of, uh, I don't know. Just, there's a lot of guys in this class, particularly that I felt could have gotten a lot better. And yep. now it's just, it's, it's like, it's like throwing a guy into the woods and being like, all right, survive. But, 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 about the change, you know, the evolution of what used to be called the, you know, I said the hardship waiver rule, uh, which until, you know, a little over 20 years ago, in order to be able to renounce your eligibility and, and move into, you know, the chance to play professionally earlier than normally, you would have to, you know, as I mentioned before, you'd have to submit a request for a hardship waiver and there would have to be some sort of rationale offered. You know, like I said, you know, dad's diabetes has gotten worse, mom lost her job, you know, her house burned down, whatever it is, used to be expected. And then, you know, like I said, slowly but surely there was sort of a a, a, a creeping <laughs> downward in terms of the severity of the hardships until eventually they decided to you know, to make it so you just had to be three years clear of your high school graduation in order to be able to petition for early eligibility. And, but you can be denied, at least theoretically, uh, early eligibility. 
So it is still a that's why some people sort of assume that you just say I'm out and then, you know, you're automatically allowed to be you know, entered in the draft. But that's just not the case. You actually you see a process where they decide to let you enter. I also see that Isaiah B is joining us. How are you doing, Isaiah? I'm doing all right, uh, hanging in there. Okay, well, that's good to hear. Uh, I know that you uh, have some, some family challenges yeah. and some things going on. I, I've been there myself. Uh, Passed away two days ago. Yeah, yeah, you told me. It's tough. It's tough losing people that uh, have been a big part of your life. I was, uh, you know, like I said, I've been through something similar. I was actually away when my grandfather, I didn't know my, in fact, I'm, uh, well, no, I take it back. I kind of knew one of my grandfathers. My, I mean, one I knew very well, you know, my mother's father. I knew my father's father not very well because my father knew his father not very well. But I did meet the man once, uh, and then, so it didn't mean much to me when he died because, you know, he was never really part of my life. Uh, in the case of uh, my mother's mother, I knew her fairly well, but she died when I was about four and a half or five. Uh, so she died fairly young. Well, not young, but, you know, she was in her 70s, but younger than her husband who lived another 20 some odd years. Um, and then in the case of, uh, you know, uh, my father's mother, my father's mother died when she was quite young and my father was very young when she died. So, you know, I would have had no chance ever to know her. But um, like I said, I know it's hard and, you know, the only thing you can do is do your very best to be the best person you can. So with that in mind, um, were there any particular declarees that stood out to you, Isaiah, where you said to yourself, huh? I think we can all agree in Christian Hackenberg. Yeah, well, that's one that we all saw coming, though, because it was clear... We all saw coming, but we're like, uh, really? I know, right. I I know, I know. Um, I see we have a couple of our special guests, um, the Southern gentleman himself, Mr. Shane Alexander, has sidled our way. How are you doing, Shane? Bill, how's it going, my friend? Good to be be on with you again, brother. Oh, my gosh, it's been too long. And I believe we've been joined by an extremely special guest, a first-timer. Is that Mr. Shane? Yes, it is. How's it going? Very well. Could you please introduce yourself for those who don't know you already? Yeah, um, my name is Lawrence Cheney. I uh, started a little brand called Pacific Scouting up here in the Northwest, and uh, haven't quite got the blog up yet, but I've been following the drafts for uh, quite some time. Um, still young, 24 years old, but delved into uh, football and scouting right out of college and, you know, enjoy it. You know, I'm just really an extremist when it comes to these things, so, uh, you know, that's a little rundown on me. Excellent. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you guys make me feel so darn old. I was my first published article was was published in 1982, so I always feel old when people say they're 20 something years old. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, I've been doing this longer than you've been alive. Yeah, um, that's cool though. Uh, no, no, it's not cool. You just feel ancient. Um, <laughs> I've I've had several two generations. I have notes on some of the fathers of some of the guys from this draft to include um, uh, 
Sterling Shepard, whose whose father had oh, first wow. died very young. He's a super talented guy, and I it was a, he wouldn't have been much of a he would not have made a great he how put this, because of the way the game was played in his father's era. His father would not have been a superstar as a receiver, but he would have been primarily a return specialist. Um, it's hard for guys of a certain age to imagine, but at one point, slot receivers were an afterthought on most teams. You have to remember that in 1980, even, I'm talking about a million years ago, but even in 1980, most slot receivers were considered, you know, meh, you know. <laughs> um, the slot receiver position, which was called a slot back in the, in the 50s and 60s and 70s even, wasn't until really the 80s you heard the term slot receiver. It was always slot back. If you look at the, you know, we'll talk about touchdown Tommy McDonald, they're talking about um, – uh, Bobby Mitchell, or they're talking about uh, which of the early guys that were still on time to slot. They were usually running backs, or former running backs um, that got moved. Almost all of them were former running backs. And sometimes they would be guys who were mostly running backs who would line up in the slot at certain times. I mean, Lenny Moore um, with Johnny Unitas' um, Colts used to sometimes be the guy in the slot at times. But yeah, so it was a sort of a minor position well into the 80s, uh, it was really when Dan Marino was drafted in 1983. And they had, you know, Matt Moore, and they had they had a bunch of ball receivers. And, you know, people talked about the Smurfs, which were also in Washington, but the, the Washington receivers were bigger than the Miami receivers. The smallest receiving core I've ever seen as a group I mean, Irving Fryer, when he came, became their biggest receiver. When he came to them, and he was six feet tall, but he was by far their biggest receiver. But then they had, you know, Dutton, uh, uh, Dayton and uh, Dayton. I've combined the two. Duper and Clayton, who were listed at 5'9". I've stood next to both gentlemen. One of them's about 5'7 seven, and 7'8", seven, and the other one's about maybe 5'8 and a quarter, maybe 5'8 and a half. Um, and so, yes, you had this tiny receiving court, but they're very quick and great route runners. But each of them spent time. Yes, elves. That's a way to put it. Elves. But each of them spent some time in the spot. But yeah, so in this particular receiving class, a lot of people whine about the receiving class or some of the guys that are in it. And because there's not a lot of classic X type receivers, you know, people are looking for Dez or they're looking for Sammy Watkins or they're looking for Larry Fitzgerald. And there's not a lot of those types, but there's a whole lot of possession receivers who are going to be good possession receivers. There's some smaller, speedy-type guys, and then there's a wealth of slot-type receivers in this receiver club. Uh, in terms of pass rushers, it's not a super amazing class if you're looking for Demarcus Ware or if you're looking for Von Miller even. But there's a good variety of specialists uh, big, bigger body sort of power rushers, and then there's some the terms. And I'm going to give full credit to my friend Jim Coburn. He should, if he's smart, he service mark or trademark it. Um, edge safety, what he calls edge safety type rushers. You know, from Eric Stryker to um, there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, he named. I guess we'll talk about your edge safety rankings today, uh, Jim. But you can, I'm sure you have at least ten of them if you if you've been working hard at it by now. Guys who are between 205 and 225 or so pounds who, yeah. you know, yeah. aren't quite they're, full-time. They're, yeah. They aren't quite full-size 
some people call them nickel linebackers, but come on, nickel linebackers? You know, edge safety sounds cooler, and it, it you know describes kind of the position. You're you're kind of like a little you're a safety who is rushing off the edge, doing kind of outside linebacker duties, but not quite because you don't necessarily want them to go up against offensive linemen either. So they're just kind of this tweenerish in between an edge rusher and a safety sort of world they live in. So, and that's, um, we have a ton of those guys in this class. Yes. Yes, we do. This is probably the greatest edge safety class in NFL history. And a lot of them were underclassmen. I think it's like 96 underclassmen and six players. It all depends on how you do your counting. Um, so some people don't. Right. Some people don't count Roberto Aguayo because he's graduated already. It all depends on how you do your counting, basically. But, yes, 96 is the official number. Um, it's a silly number. I mean, I'm not trying to be judgmental or mean or anything, but that's just a, the number's goofy. Um, there's, there's, I mean, that would be over a third of the players who would be drafted, and they're, they're, both of those players won't be drafted. So, well, I shouldn't say it's silly. I mean, some of them have, I'm sure, legitimate compelling reasons to, to come out early. But some of them, I'm sure, don't. And so it raises a concern in my mind. Uh, when you sit down and talk with scouts, you know, when you're at Indianapolis for the Combine or you're, uh, you know, at the Senior Bowl or East West Shrine or NFLPA game or you're uh, at the draft itself. Well, actually, you don't see me scouts at the draft. But, I mean, unless they're sort of middle management types or, you know, assistant directors of player personnel, whatever, guys that you knew as scouts. Like some of the guys that I met as scouts, you know, in the late 1990s and early 2000s are now, you know, directors of or assistant directors of, but whatever. You still see them. You ask them about how they feel about that. And, you know, obviously they're very pragmatic about it, but some of them know that this person's motivated by money, you know, and that you have to take that into account. I mean, people, some people sort of poo-poo um, character or whatever. They say, you know, I don't worry too much about that. Or, well, NFL teams do. And when they know a guy's making, as the old thing goes, a dash for the cash, you may not pass money that necessarily because you know he's money motivated. I mean, heck, you know, some of the greatest players to ever staff him up with money motivated. I mean, Deion Sanders told people he was money motivated. He was never shy about it, but he was, you know, still at Free Shoes University, as he experienced to put it. He used to make it very clear that he was about money. He started a business while he was still at Florida State uh, to attempt to market his prime time, whatever, the NCAA, as you might guess, slap that down. <laughs> they don't like people making money off of their name or their reputation or whatever. But he attempted to start a business, um, just like Brian Bosworth. The, the smart thing that Bosworth did when he started his Bosbuster t-shirt business or whatever is he had, he had someone else's name. So the NCAA, because he smacked him down about other things. They got on about other things. They didn't get on about that. Uh, but, yes, yeah, so we've got basically a ludicrous number, as I said, of players. And um, since we have special guests, I'll have Mr. Lawrence Cheney talk about uh, who are some of the players you circled when you when you saw the, the, you know, who would come out. And I guess you could say some of the ones that you, you were pleased to see or that you, you know, you felt, um, you know, it made sense. And then some of the ones that you thought were concerns or you felt, you know, maybe it's a terrible, terrible mistake. We're, we're talking about underclassmen here? Yeah, we're talking about the early declarations, correct. Well, I mean, 
a lot of the top ten players are juniors, and that, of course, makes sense. You know, like the Jalen Ramsey, the, the Miles Jack clearly makes sense because, you know, who knows how he would have done if he was to return. But the tape's there for him. You know, he's really athletic, and and you can see that he can make an a, a impact at the next level. But uh, I don't know. I haven't really stretched down to uh, and really looked at a lot of um, early declares, you know, towards the bottom of the list. Um, I did look at a couple of running backs. Dwayne Washington, well, for instance, out of out of U Dub. You know, I've I'm familiar with him because I, I I'm up here in the Northwest and, and I've got to see him a lot. And uh, now him, that, I just, that a Miles was that a Miles Gaston thing? Was that just him feeling like he was you know not going to get touches? Oh no, well well Miles Jack, you know he he ended up getting injured, so no no no, I wasn't talking about Miles Jack. I was talking about Washington. Oh yeah, Dwayne yeah Dwayne Washington definitely. I don't yeah I don't think he was going to give me any touches coming up this year because. Uh, Okay. Miles, yeah, Miles Gaskin. He was uh, he's definitely one of the top true freshmen in the nation. And being that running back position, he uh, he was definitely taking carries away from Dwayne Washington. But with Washington, you can tell he's really athletic. In uh, in high school, he played mostly receiver. He was a big time track star. Mm-hmm. Super athletic, oversized, uh, or decent size of running back, six two, two twenty one, and um. I guess that's the reason it would make sense for him to come out early. But uh, other underclassmen that that uh, I haven't really, I don't know, got to look at. But uh, I was sort of surprised that the uh, both Arkansas running backs were coming out this year. They shared shared a lot of carries this past season. But uh, they're definitely definitely talented. But I haven't really del- delved too deep into a. You know the the underclassmen are fine under the radar, so I couldn't speak too much on that. Well, you mentioned you're from the Pacific Northwest. You know, there's two British Columbia players who are in this draft. I did not know that. Uh, Terrell Davis, no relation, and Quinn Van Gilflight, uh from British Columbia University, <laughs> declared for the NFL draft. Now, I mean, admire the spirit and the courage and the pluck that it takes as a Canadian collegian to declare the NFL draft early, no less, when, you know, frankly, I think six players in the past 10 years have been drafted, period, who went to school up north. Uh, we don't tend to draft them. Uh, more often, they are signed as undrafted free agents, even when they're really, really good. We tend to, be, tend to be signed as undrafted free agents. I guess the great exception, um, the Saints took, um, what's the name from Regina? Um, Oh God, the big giant D tackle from uh, Canada, from Regina University. Uh, I can't the name now, but but um, he was, you know, I think the earliest Canadian collegiate ever uh, selected. But mostly they're late to undrafted, even when they complete all four years. <laughs> uh, because to be perfectly honest, and, and I've actually seen Canadian college football in person, and the first thing that strikes you is. I mean, if you were to not be told it was Canadian, if you just saw it, your first guess would be high-level D3 or NAI. Uh, the speed of the game is distinctly less than you're used to I mean, in terms of like watching big time. First year, big time for FCS. Um, those, even the best Canadian college teams will get absolutely steamrolled by, say, James Madison or... Uh, 
fact, James Madison's not even a fair example. Let me step down a little bit from James Madison. We could absolutely steamroll by, like, uh, University of New Hampshire would just crush them. Uh, a mid-level FCS team would eviscerate the best Canadian collegiate teams in most cases. Um, there's a few rare exceptions, but most of the time, uh, even the better teams in Canada would get just handled by a mid-level FCS team. Um, in a good year, they're about like a good D2 team, but most of them are even a step below that. Most of them are like high-level D3 to, you know, really good, to, to like solid NEIA level of play and level of talent. But to their credit, they're getting better. Um, you're seeing more speed, especially like from 30 years ago or 40 years ago. Uh, they've increased, you know, they're, they're still not, like I said, it's, it's a distinct difference, but they're getting better. But these, I assume these are guys who just, I don't know what their thoughts was, but um, I wish them luck. I'll leave it at that. Uh, okay. Some of the... Some of the other sort of more name guys, obviously Sewell Cravens was a is a big name player. Uh, Rashard Higgins is a truly productive wide receiver from yeah. Colorado State. I, I really like Higgins. He's I'm fun to watch. Uh, we have obviously Tyler Boyd from uh, Pitt, and then sticking to the same city from Duquesne. The guy, this is a funny thing. You don't see too many guys from Duquesne come out early, but he's not even the best prospect on the team. Uh, the best prospect at Duquesne is actually the wide receiver, Chris King, uh, who is a senior. But for some reason, uh, DeMarcus Ayers, I don't know, I mean, uh, for some, well, he, that's another head scratcher, but, but for some reason, Trenton Coles uh, from Duquesne decided to declare, so I, I'd like to know what the story is there. Um, An interesting player, Brett McMacken from Northern Iowa, who is a very good player, but I still question his declaration, his uh, early declaration. Joe Powell from Globe, who will be one of the first player in Globe history. They haven't had a football program very long, Uh, so it's very strange. Uh, He's he's setting many records, uh, I guess, in terms of in terms of taking the step of declaring early. Should he make a roster, he'll be the first player from there to make an NFL roster. Um, and in terms of D2 players coming out early, which is always a sort of head-scratcher, though some of them have done well. I mean, the, the earliest a D2 player declared early ever uh, was selected was Daniel Manning from Abilene Christian, who I think was a second, third, third round, I think. But he was selected pretty early. Uh, but that's not only how that happens. But uh, Aldrich Rosas, who is, you guessed it, a place kicker, from Southern Oregon, felt like uh, he had done everything he could do at the collegiate level. So, welcome to the NFL, Mr. Rojas. Um, Jermaine Gassetti, who I see more as a guard. I mean, just me. He's looked at the tackle the more I watch Any more running backs watch. you see at the next level from the division well, there's, two? There's a whole lot of running backs that declared. And then, once again, running backs, you know, Often declare. I mean, that's um, new vision that could be starters in the NFL or, you know, backup. Could start. I mean, it depends, it depends on what you mean by start. Um, the, the NFL like has... Not time starter, but you the know, NFL, time starter. The, the NFL has changed in such a way that you don't see... I mean, I saw James Wilder get 383 carries one year. You know what I'm saying? The game has changed. So... Yeah, there's some contributors. I mean, I think Jordan Howard can contribute. I think Wendell Small yes, can contribute. It reminds me a little bit of Adrian Peterson playing for that a little bit extra yards, but not quite as developed. Well, 
I'm, I'm not going to go there, but th- these are these are contributors. I think these are most of the running backs, even the ones who didn't come out early, um, are the contributors. They're guys who will be part of a system. Um, obviously, there's a couple of guys, Ezekiel Elliott, a few other guys are probably guys that will get, you know, more touches. Uh, Paul Perkins is a guy I really like. Uh, I think he's going to going to have a nice little career. And as was mentioned, Alex Collins is a guy I think is going to have a, a nice little run. Um, now, I don't think Jonathan Williams did declare early. Oh, no, he didn't. He, he, I, I forgot he is a senior. Okay. He did. I thought so. I didn't think so. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm looking at the list right now. Yeah. But um, there's some interesting names. Some of them are sort of question marks. I mean, Keith Marshall is a guy that, you know, people forget that at one point he was a package deal with Todd Gurley, the old Gershaw backfield. And there were yeah. some people who there were some people who felt though, you know, obviously the more physically gifted guy was Gurley, but some people thought the better running back in terms of sort of all around running back skills when they first came to Georgia. Some people thought Marshall was the better all around running back and then obviously, you know, we saw it happened and Todd but Gurley is Wendell super, super special. Wendell Small was a decent player. Um I don't think he's going to be once again, I think he's gonna be part of a running back uh, shared responsibility system, as I like to call them. A uh, few other guys that sort of stood out to me in terms of either, you know, weird or whatever, Vincent Valentine and Malik Collins, the two D-tackles from Nebraska, they're not terrible players, but I'm convinced they would have gone higher had they gone back to school. I, I, I don't know if there's something going on that made both of them want to get the heck out of, uh, out of Dodge, out of Lincoln, I guess, to be more specific. Um, Hunter Henry is an interesting prospect. I think he has a chance to be one of the first tight ends off the board. I can sort of understand. Well, it's not a good tight end class for, especially for quote-unquote full-size tight ends. If you want a full-grown, if you want a 250-pounder, yeah, if you want a 250-pounder, yeah, the pickings are pretty slim. Uh, There are some, some smaller guys. A lot of Florida guys came out one of which makes perfect sense. I mean, I get Vernon Hargraves. Like, there's, you know, why would you not? The other guys, I all have question marks about. Uh, I mean, Kelvin Taylor is nothing special as far as I can tell, except, you know, being Fred Taylor's son. Uh, Alex McAllister is not exactly a world beater as far as I can tell, unless I'm missing something. I'm intrigued by Keanu Neal, but I'm convinced he would have been better had he stayed in school. And then Marcus Robinson is a mess. Um, and now he's going to ask the NFL to, you know, take, take him off Florida's hands. That's one of those things where, though you're kind of sad to see him go up your Florida, you're not broken up. You're not real sad. You're not super sad. Sort of like with Sex Man and with, with Johnny um, Manziel, you know, he wasn't trashed going out the door as he left there, but they weren't, I mean, the staff, you talk to the coaching staff, they weren't all, they weren't crying. They weren't broken up. They weren't just devastated by the thought of him leaving early. They weren't. I, I talked to some the Texas a coaches, and they were like, you know, we wish them the best. But you could tell they weren't, they weren't broken who up. This, they weren't, who's this kicker out of British Columbia, Quinn Van Sorry, Yeah, I already talked to you about him. You missed that part, huh? Um, and then uh, Southern Oregon, Aldrich Rojas. Yeah, we already, we already talked about them. Do, do you want to revisit them again? No. I'm looking okay. at the list. I'm like, who are these people? Well, I know who they are, uh, but some of them aren't even the best like at their position in their conferences. So it's interesting. <laughs> it's like, wow, the second best 
kicker wow, that's a, in that conference has decided to declare. Every young, yeah, every young not a, not a bad player, but once again, I'm convinced that he would have gone earlier. Had he, but whatever. Um, and then Darius, uh, Darius um, Vladek from uh, Tim Cookman decided to declare early, and he's, you know, not a terrible player, but, I mean, some of these players, I think, declared so they could see their names written on the list of people who declared early. I mean, to convince that's what some of them wanted. It's like, hey, there's my name together with Derrick Henry and, you know, <laughs> yeah. Hargreaves the third. I'm on the same list with them. Woo! I mean, I'm convinced that's what it was. Because there can be no other logic practically to it because a, a good number, a very large number of these players will simply not be drafted. And there's no choice around it. I mean, most of them. And the thought process, and this is where I guess I'm, and I'll Shane about this. So Shane, remember we talked about how they were making a change to the informational system about what your grade is and blah, blah, blah. And supposedly that was supposed to cut down the number, but this is, I think, the second highest number ever. What the heck went wrong? Uh, it is the same old, uh, you know, just misinformation uh, from people that, that don't matter, I, w- I would think. Um, you know, Nick Saban, for everything that, that people don't like about him, there is not a voice in any league of football that is, uh, that is more uh, adamant about this grading process. Uh, you know, he wants people that, you know, if you're not a – a top 64 or 75 pick, you know, you go back to school, and it's not so he can win more games. He'll just recruit somebody to replace you. It's just that if you miss on the process, you know, you set yourself up uh, for real failure. And a lot of times if, if a player doesn't get drafted, the school will have something set up. You know, he can't go back on scholarship, but they there's things set up to where that he can come back to school and finish his degree. But that's not really the point at that point because you've lost your eligibility to prove yourself the following year. Um, I don't know if, if Nick Saban in, in the last 36 months hasn't drummed up enough attention about it. I don't know who else really could. But I just think it's a couple of things. It's guys that think too highly of themselves. Maybe that's for an ego reason. Maybe they're being dishonest with themselves because of another personal conflict. You know, Maybe they need that money or they want that money, and they, they trick themselves into thinking that they can make it happen when they're not there yet. Um, and then you've also got – you know, you know we, we know really good agents. Uh, you and I, Bill and Jim, you know, we know yeah. Greg Linton. You know, he's a, he's a guy that shoots it straight. But you know there's agents out there that they don't care about the players past this first deal. And, and they're just, you know, they're trying to, to make a name for themselves as well. So, you know, there's a lot of sharks out there. and There's a lot of misinformation. Um, and I think, you know, with as scouting, I, was, uh, I wrote about it in my piece with ITP this week. You, know, you, have to take, you kind of have to take emotion out of the process as scout. I think it should be that way with the evaluation process as players. You have to take the emotion out of it for yourself, and that's that's a hard t- task to ask. But uh, you just have to look at the facts for the facts. You know, there's a, some wiggle room. Maybe you're a top 90 play, player. Maybe you're a top 60 player. But the fact is you're still going to be drafted. You're still going to get a guaranteed contract. You know, at that point, sure, go pay your family. But, you know, if you're a kicker from Canada, get that education, you know, keep playing football. Uh, you know, I, I won't just go on and on about the, the guys that shouldn't have declared because y'all covered a lot of them, but, you know, right here in my backyard, Peyton Barber, the running back at Auburn. Yeah, uh, I was going to ask you about There's no NFL quality there yet. He lost carries to Javon Robinson and uh, Karon Johnson um, 
throughout the year. And, and he was a nice player. And at the beginning of the year, he was the running back that Auburn needed because they didn't have any rhythm at that position early. And he really got him going. But that doesn't make him an NFL player. And, um, you know, I have to think maybe that was he saw the writing on the wall and uh, and wanted to get out. And, and I can't blame him for that. But, you know, I think he has his degree already. Um, so maybe he could have done the, the grad transfer program thing. Um but, you know, it's, I hate it. I really do. I tweeted that today. The, the inconvenient truth is some really nice players in 2017 won't get the chance because they come out in 2016. Yep. Um, and, and I hate that because, you know, Demarcus Robinson, maybe he, he couldn't transfer directly to a, an FBS school, uh, but, you know, he could have dropped down next year, played football, and kind of and did the Noah Spence route. You know, Noah Spence is going to be a top 15 pick probably. Um and, he, and it's just because not really what he did on the field. It's just what he changed the perception of himself off the field. And, you know, Demarcus Robinson, you know, could have went down that road, chose not to. But Yeah. Um, he, so that was the long answer to In my point. mind, he, Noah Spence should send Bruce Feldman like a nice edible arrangement or a bottle of scotch or something because that guy, I mean, Bruce yeah. Feldman really kind of saved his bacon. Absolutely. I mean, that guy, you know, Spence, uh, he actually uh, talked with uh, John Owings, a uh, guy that we probably all follow on Twitter, and, and I, uh, two years ago, I think, or a year and a half ago, uh, before he got kicked off Ohio State, we were we started tweeting about how much we liked him. He saw, he started you know, tweeting at us, and, and when he transferred to EKU, uh, he actually DM'd John o- Owings, and he broke the news. That was pretty cool. But my point is, um, he was a guy that was just extremely toxic for about a you know, 16-month period. And yep. for all his flashes, there you know a lot of guys were like he's never getting drafted. But then that that makeover process happens where you go away, you don't get seen, you clean up your act, and then you come back as you know out of your chrysalis, so to speak, as a butterfly. And uh, and now look at Spence. You know I had him going, uh, had him going in eleventh, I think, in my mock this past week. Wow. So, <laughs> I think he's going to kill the combine. We can talk about that later. But I I just think uh, we'll we'll to touch up. on guys we think are going to kill the combine. And that, so yeah. hold on to your. Your 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 you know, keep your powder dry regarding that because that, that will touch yeah. on the sort of freaks or guys you think might be freaks um, for the for the combine stuff. Even if he goes ten picks later or fifteen picks later, and that still it's as you said it's an amazing reclamation project from a guy that would have been a mid to late day three guy or undrafted uh, without as you said the total image makeover. Oh, we saw Vontae's perfect. You know, that happened to him a couple of years ago. Just based on the field, um, you know, I did a mock draft that year. That was before my days on draft Twitter. But I thought he was going to be a first-round pick. I loved what he did, at, you know, on the field. But those guys slide. So, um, you know, you're right. That's, uh, it's, it's, been a, it's been a huge thing for him. But um, for the most part, though, there was – I think you should also applaud the guys that, that made the right decision as well. And, and this underclassman class, I've seen some people kind of be cynical about it. But, um, you know – I think there's a lot of depth in this draft. 2014 was a historical draft. Uh, I think 2016, in, in a different way, is going to be extremely uh, important for the league because there are some holes at some key positions, and the depth isn't being filled. I think this draft is a depth-filling draft for um, for every team. Um, maybe not, you know, that top top-end talent uh, two rounds deep, but I love some of these mid-round guys and. And I think they'll make a name for themselves through the draft process, and then we'll see it show up as teams get a little bit better. Uh, it'll be because they've got better depth because of this class. Okay. 
So, Isaiah, you obviously sort of fall in love or whatever you want to use with certain guys. Are any of the guys that you have, you know, enormous draft man crushes on amongst the, the list of early declarees? We lost Isaiah? Isaiah C? Going once? Going twice? Who was, who was that directed towards? I was asking oh, okay. Isaiah. Oh, okay. I, I forgot I was, I still had you guys on mute. I was doing oh, okay. some film. Ah, I was saying, I know you have a tendency to, to develop man crushes, to fall in love. And <laughs> I was saying amongst, amongst this list of guys that decided to declare earlier, either amongst the guys upon, you know, upon whom you were smitten. Come on. Mackenzie Alexander. Oh, of course. Okay. Leonard so, Floyd. Really? Are you kidding okay. me? Do you know how much I talked about him during the season? Yeah, yeah. We, we, tried, we, tried, to, we, tried, to, we tried to talk you down on that one. But, okay, so tell, tell us about those two players and why you think these are guys that, that should be taken early in the draft. Well, Mackenzie Alexander is going to be, I don't know if a shutdown, but an extremely good corner. Um especially in the he's it's more of a scheme basis with him. You put him in one of those cover systems, he's perfect. Which most of um the NFL runs cover one, cover two and all that. But man, he's just completely shuts down one side of the field. And then you look at Leonard Floyd, aka Freak, not to steal from uh Javon Curse, but yeah, well. Leonard Floyd, he's just a fantastic athlete. He has not the well, he has the size, just not the frame. He has the speed. It's really all about him is just the frame. He looks like a wide receiver. Yep, but he's not. Not yet. But he's extremely gifted, and I believe one of these teams will fall in love as. Okay, and then you got to figure out where to play him. He can play the Leo, the Otto, and a few different schemes. So wait a second, hold on. You think he can play the Leo even if he's not even 230 pounds? That didn't stop people from sliding Big Beasley in that pick spot. Well, Big Beasley, as small as he was, is still significantly bigger than Floyd. I know. What did Beasley come in at, like, 240 or something? 244. That was that was after, during the combine, but during the season, he was around, like, 220. Which still means he was bigger than Floyd. And do, do you, do you, let me ask you this. Do you think Floyd's going to come in to 244 at the combine, Isaiah? I'm sorry? What's do you think Floyd's going to come in at 244 at the combine? Because I don't think he will. Not two forty, uh, maybe two thirty, two thirty-five. Okay, well that'll help if you can get to that. My, my, guess was, my, my, guess was two, my guess was two twenty-eight, but we'll see. My highest is two thirty-five. Okay, we'll see. Uh, like I said, I wish he's gonna run in the mid four fours. He's better. 
And then we could go all over the place. But I'm going to end that right here. Sure. Now, what is it about Mackenzie Alexander that you think is going to allow him to hold up at the next level? Well, I guess a lot of it really, when he's faced, like, bigger, wider receivers, you know, mm-hmm. it hasn't been that big of an issue. I mean, there's uh, some instances where he's gotten, but which corner is it? Um, I think he is the second best corner in this draft, hands down. I mean, his technique is solid. Um, his hands, he's like a wide receiver, but, you know, the opposite side, and, you know, he's just fantastic. His eyes are always on the ball. And, you know, while, you know, staring down the wide receiver, while, you know, making big plays. I think any team that would get him or is going to be extremely happy for the next, I'm going to say six, seven years, depending on how he holds up in the NFL. Okay. Not to not to butt in, but I am Please interested. To, I am interested to see uh, if, if Jim's still on the call too. Uh, and this is submitted without comment because I think this cornerback class is a little bit weak, being top heavy. Uh, oh, as far as being top heavy, I think the the depth is in those those middle rounds this year. Um, oh, it's, yep. it's bare. Yeah, it's. I really like the group once we get into day two, um, yep, and then day three. But who who would be uh, everybody's cornerback one? Because you know, I, I think that all of us or a lot of us are skittish to to kind of say who's number one. But there has to be you know a hierarchy. Um, you got to start somewhere. And I I'm start with Vernon Hargraves. Yeah, I've, that's, I've, that's for me. That's the easy thing. Yeah, I think Hargraves is. And this period is a good amount. To me, there's a good amount of separation, quite frankly. The, the, the hard one's not number one. The hard one, for me, is number two. So, yeah, I like, I like Hargraves. You know, I think everybody does in the community, but I would say he's my, my one as well. I, I know Jim. I, I hope he's still on here. I, I'd love to hear what he has to say. Uh, I know Jim's <laughs> a little bit lower on, on Mac uh, than I am. I do like McKenzie Alexander, although I completely get, because I buy into the, the metrical side of it, I get, you know, uh, people like Jim's hesitancy. Uh, but my, where I struggle is at three. Um, I really like Kendall Fuller. I really like um, uh, Kevin yeah. Peterson from, from Oklahoma State. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I'm as high on Eli Apple as some are. Um, I think somebody – Eli Apple, I like Artie Burns from Miami. Um, but, yeah, so, it's yeah. It's really I, tough I, I to separate. It's really tough to separate the first two from the rest and to find that third guy. Really, it's just a bunch of guys compared to the first two. Um, well, it comes down to what you want, once again, in a corner. Now, since, since we're not picking for a particular team, and this is what makes it harder or easier, I guess that's how you interpret it, being a person who's looking at all of the players and then – not considering scheme, not considering 
playing style, not considering what kind of players the coaches like to coach, not considering what kind of players this team has used in the past and how they fit in with the, with the current roster. Now, if you're looking just for man press corners, then yes, it's easy to delineate who you want because there's only a handful of those guys, and boom, there they are. You can pull them out very easily. If this cornerback consider- isn't as deep as people think it is. Well, it depends on what you want. If you like zone corners and if you like slot corners, then it's extremely deep. Yes, but if you want, like, the uh, hands-down shutdown corners, you're out of luck. Well, see, the term shutdown corner to me is a misnomer. Most years, there is not a single shutdown corner in the class. Being a true shutdown corner is a generational thing. You get one of those every few years, you know, if you're lucky. You don't get one of those in every class. Peterson, Joe Hayden, same class? Joe Hayden, to me, is not a shutdown corner. He's a very good corner, but I would never use the term shutdown to describe Joe Hayden. Take it away and give it back as well. That's Hayden. Yeah. But he's a very competitive player. He's, you know, yes. he's a very, he he's a, right, he's very quick. Yeah, he's quick. He's competitive. He's got good ball skills, but that doesn't make you a shutdown corner where I come from. Was <laughs> Sherman drafted in the, that same class? No. Um, he shut he down was, inside of the field. I mean, yeah, know, Sherman like, was in. Uh, uh, Sherman was in the later. Yeah, yeah. He was a fifth-year senior. Um, he he had earned his master's many, degree by the time he came out. Well, you see, it depends on where you look. Like I said, um, like I mean, big-time programs. I mean, small schools. You, you'll see uh, quite a few of them, but it depends where you look. Yeah, like I said, I mean, Josh Norman is a guy that I had. Josh, it's funny. Josh Josh Norris and I rarely agree. But we agreed about Josh Norman. He schemed not it. It's schemed. Right. But that's what we're talking about. That's, that, They're that's not going to win too. Sunday. Well, that, that's not the point. The, as I mentioned, <laughs> the, 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 the class, right, it turns scheme fit. There's some of the guys that we aren't high on that would be great in somebody's particular scheme. That's what that's different from, you know, I talk to my friend Jamie or I talk to Kari or I talk to guys I know who scout for a particular team. They've got marching orders. Here's what we need from our corner. And if a guy can't do that, hey, can a guy set the edge? Because some of the guys that some of you guys love can't set the edge worth a darn in the run game when, they have, when they're the in-man on the line of scrimmage or there's a contained player on sweeps or, you know, or they defend those wide receiver screens. Some of, some of the guys just turn it down. I mean, I hate to put it that way, but I've seen guys just, you know, was it uh, Deion calls it business decision? Some of those guys just don't do it. They don't show up. They're non-participants. And there are teams that just say that guy's off our board. I don't care what he runs. I don't care what he can do in terms of other stuff. If you can't do this, we can't use him. And there are other guys, who, you know, other teams that don't care so much about that. But he's got to be this. You know, we need this. Some teams won't touch you if, you don't, if your arms are a certain length. Some teams won't touch you if you, you know, don't, if you can't. Some teams care about strength more than others. I mean, one of the great things about somebody just, somebody just mentioned, um, you know, uh, So you mentioned Peterson is obviously stronger than normal amongst corners, right? Uh, right. As is Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman has super long arms and knocked out 16 left, uh, which is above average for a cornerback. But some teams don't care if a guy can do one rep. 
frankly. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, they don't care if you're weak. I mean, I'll say they don't care, but they, it's not as much a priority. There are teams that want physically imposing strong corners, and they'll live with you not being able to flip your hips because their system basically just has you coming downhill, frankly. You know, we want you jumping routes. We want you to, to rough guys up at the last scrimmage you know, stay with them for seven yards, and then, hey, like, once again, people bring up the cover three teams, right? They bring up Carolina. They bring up Seattle, teams that are in cover one and cover three a lot. And if you have a good enough safety, and Earl Thomas is about as good as it gets, you can get away with a lot of that. But, and I'm writing an article right now called Unsafe in the NFL, and, of course, it's about the crisis of safety play. And I won't get into, you know, they're all in the Cardinals. Well, the Cardinals do have an unusually number of good safeties, yes. <laughs> they have about four corners. I mean, sorry, about four safeties to the start for, you know, who would be the best safety on most other teams. And a lot of them switch over and play corner due to the lack of depth at corner. Well, they, they can play. That's the other thing about your safeties is that they're very versatile. They can play strong safety. They can play free safety. They can cover the slot. And so if we'll get, you're a Dion Buchanan, you play linebacker a lot right. of times. Or, or, like I said, because like either of the other two safety versions. But getting back to, okay, the corner class, because that's where we have to start. The, the way that things are happening, obviously, as was mentioned, the combine will help because we'll find out just how big. I mean, that's the thing that people forget. Medical, which we don't get to see, but the medicals will be usually important. Some guys will drop, and we won't know why. Right, we don't see what they come, what comes back in the medical. Um, there, there's stuff that's going to come back on some of these guys that a team's going to take them down a, a round or two. Some teams might take them all the way off the board. There are teams, you know, this is obviously not the same position, but some teams that Jay Ajayi off their board altogether, all mm-hmm. all the way off their board. Some teams are like, nope, not interested. Um, so yeah, so that's one thing that happens is people teams will just look at the medicals and make a decision. That kid, Chris Polk, who I think is a really good running back, was all the way off some team's boards. He was undrafted because of the medicals. People didn't care. Yeah, he had a high football. People didn't a, care. He had a high football. You didn't care about his hands. They saw the medical, and they were like, nope. So that's going to happen. And then, obviously, you're going to have the physical testing, on how big they are, how fast they are, how all that good stuff is. They're going to meet with teams, show what they have in terms of football IQ. And a lot of times people don't realize, even at the corner position, which is, not always thought it was a thinking man's position exactly, but it depends on what kind of defense you run. In 1977, if you were the Oakland Raiders, not that you didn't have to have a brain exactly, but, I mean, they were a team that was just plain old, they were plain old, straight-up man. When you've got Lester Hayes and Mike Haynes, you don't need to do much else. Hey, you t- well, deal called cat, you know, cat defense. You Is take that, that really cat, like I'll the take only time? Cat. Is that really like the only time we had like a few, two of like the best cornerbacks in the league at nope. one time on nope. one team. It, 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 nope, it's happened plenty of times. But but like I said, we don't want to spend too much time on this. Um, there have been a couple of teams that had two Hall of Fame corners. I mean, only one of those guys in the Hall of Fame. Some teams have had two Hall of Fame corners at the same time. But like I said, we'll move on from this. That's correct. The right. So here's what I'm saying. I'm just going to sort of ask some of you guys if you. I'll stick with you, Shane, for a moment. So if you, Shane, were allowed to, as they pick the groceries, right, you're picking based on what you like in corners. You mentioned that you struggled 
with certain things. What? Tell me what are the things that you need? What are the things that you have to have, non-negotiables in a corner? And, and then what are, the, what are the things that you like as optional parts of the rally sports package for corners? I am a, a little bit uh, of a believer of the Ted Thompson tree. Um, so I, I like my cornerbacks to have um, a little bit of length. Um, and just real quick, the, parenthetically, the Legion of Boom have created an unrealistic um, yeah. expectation of what a cornerback – they've made this perception to where you find safeties and play them at cornerback. Brandon Browner was an albatross. And Richard Sherman isn't the longest guy in the world. I mean, he's a, you know, he's a bigger corner, but the fandom of the Legion of Boom, like, it, it became larger than life. It's unrealistic to have 6'4 cornerbacks. You know, Keith McGill and, and those guys just aren't functional. So, to an extent, Stanley, there's diminishing Stanley Jean Baptiste. Right, yeah. yeah. There's diminishing returns at a certain extent, but yep. I, I, I like length. Uh, the, the biggest thing with cornerbacks, and it's one of the things that you can't necessarily measure with a guy like Mac Alexander. And I only mention him is because he's the topic of conversation. But I like a dog in, in a cornerback. And the best one of the one of the best attributes a cornerback can have is the thought that he's never made a bad play. You know, because cornerbacks are going to get beat more than any position on the field. Um, they have to give up a catch. If, if a wide receiver catches a ball, someone has to give it up. And so cornerbacks are giving up catches multiple times a game, but you have to have that mentality that it didn't happen. I like I like that from a cornerback. You don't have to be so braggadocious as a Cortland Finnegan or a, um, a Richard Sherman, but you have to have that forget, forgetfulness. I think a good example of that is, is Patrick Peterson. He came out of, of LSU as, in my opinion, he's the most rarest breed of cornerback I've, I've seen. I didn't get to watch Woodson. I only know him retroactively from those late 90s years. Yeah, and you, and you um, missed Mel Blunt also, unfortunately. Right. So if we're, we're looking at 02, really, is when I start understood, you know, started to understand the process. Um, Patrick Pearson coming really hyped a decent couple of years, but he fell off there for you know, a year or two. There was, he struggled for a couple of years. He came back this year. And he's had a phenomenal year, an all-pro year. And I think, you know, his personality is very even keel. But what's in a man is hard to define. I, you have to have that in a cornerback. I like length. Um, but and but here's one thing I don't have to have. You don't have to be um, Dree Archer on the 40-yard dash. There is a place in the NFL for 5'10", 4'6", cornerbacks. Um, I think it's, you know, we want a 6'3" and a 4-3-9 quarterback, and, and that's just, you know, it's unrealistic. Those guys, if they're real, they play wide receiver. Um, so I like a guy with length. I like a guy that, that trusts um, that trusts his technique, um, that that doesn't have to be grabby. Now, Darquise Denard was my first cornerback in the uh, in the 2014 <laughs> rankings. Guys, guy, Cincinnati loves him. He's grabby. Um, yep. But the thing that I defended him with is I thought he had good technique. I think he, I thought he could win in the NFL based off his ability. Um, you have some guys, you know, the Brandon Browners, where if they're not grabbing you, you're going to catch the ball on them. And, uh, and I like a guy that trusts himself. And I like the guy with a dog mentality. So I'd like a little bit of length. I would like some functional mobility. Um, 
trust your technique and, and have that dog like amnesia um where you know you're just barking and you never and you never get wrapped up in your own head and 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 worry on the things that you've done wrong cuz cornerbacks are going to do things wrong um multiple times a game so that was a really long answer to a short question and in this draft um like you say, there's not a lot of those guys at the top, those shutdown guys. There's a lot of guys in the mid-rounds that I like a good bit. And just really quickly, I'll pass this off. But like I said, I like Artie Burns uh, a good bit. I like DeAndre Hall from Northern Iowa. Um, and I love Cyrus Jones from Alabama. Uh, that kid is just, I think, scratching the surface of where he could be as a cornerback. He's still learning the position. He played on the offensive side of the ball in high school. Uh, I think on yep. day three, uh, this is where contextualized scouting comes in. He's one of my favorite players in the class. I'm going to have around four or five grade on him. Um, yep. I think on day three, he's going to be a really good player. Yeah. Yeah. Um, same question for you, Lawrence. When you – your ideal at the corner position, what are the non-negotiable things you have to have, and then what are the, the things you optionally would like to have in a cornerback? Uh, I'm in the same boat. I'd have to go with length, definitely. Because um, up, up here, you know, we we got to see a lot of the Legion of Boom, and uh, they set the precedent. And a lot of teams try to copy them. You know, like you guys mentioned, the Stanley Game Batsies and <laughs> Keith McGill and stuff. But uh, it was nuts, you know, those, those two years where they had complete depth at the corner position, and they were shutting everybody down. And it made me fall in love with the way uh, that they played ball. Um, and before that, I didn't really think that it mattered, you know, as long as you had fluidity in your hips and you ran a, a fast 40. But now you see a lot of corners coming out who are at the elite level and they're running four fives, four sixes. And, uh, you know, so for me, definitely the speed isn't necessarily that big of a deal. Um, you know, as long as, uh, like you said earlier, it's, it's all it's all system-based. And uh, the cover three guys, they don't really – I mean, you got to be able to play the deep ball and, and get your head around. So ball skills is definitely huge. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I like a lot of length where you, you can set, set a guy off his, his route right off the, right off the get and uh, – one of the biggest things is just being able to, you know, mirror a guy at the line of scrimmage, get your hands on him, um, and not jump, you know, at the first first sign of a, you know, a head move or, or a little stutter step. Just to be able to be patient, I guess you could say, at the line of scrimmage. And yep. there's, like you guys are saying, it's not really a lot of that in, the, in this draft. It's more nickel, nickel-type corners. And uh, one of the guys I like a lot is, uh, what's his name, Eric Murray. I think that's his name out of uh, Minnesota. I watched him like three nights ago. Yeah, Eric uh, Murray and Brian Brian Bodie Calhoun um, are are both interesting cornerbacks. Yeah. You have Murray Murray, who's the more consistent, and you've got Bodie Calhoun, more of the playmaker, sort of in the Asante Samuel role. He likes to jump stuff sometimes to his own detriment, but he does make some spectacular interceptions at times. Yeah, and I like how Eric Murray he'll 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 stick his nose in there and play the run definitely. Yep. And, uh, I don't know. So I, for me, definitely it's length. You know, the cornerbacks are transitioning over to length, and 
and for me, you know, watching it, a lot of, I think it's based off of how, how the league has transitioned to big physical receivers. And then you can see over the last few years, they're sort of going back to the little, there's a lot of teams with the little slot style receivers as their number one, you know, Antonio Brown, T.Y. Hill, and John right. Brown potentially Just, right. to get there. Yeah. So right. Justin Edelman is the leading receiver, you know, at wide receiver, well ahead of every other wide receiver on the team. I mean, Gronkowski and Edelman yeah. are the keys to the passing game uh, with New England. So, yes, they have one giant and one much smaller guy. You know, they don't have a Des Bryant on their roster, obviously, a receiver. They obviously don't need him. Well, no, nobody, need, nobody needs one. Um, you, you, people like to have it, though. The classic X receiver is still something that coaches have in their mind. And I'm sure Belichick wouldn't turn one. For. And I'm sure Belichick wouldn't turn one down, but he doesn't need one because he knows how to attack teams. And his, his staff knows how to attack teams at their weakness with whatever strength they have. And if they don't have a strength there, they know that there's another strength that they do have, they can attack you other ways. That's the thing about, and that's the thing about any team is you have to realize what your strengths actually are, not what you wish they are, but what they actually are, and then figure out how to use them against other teams. So since Isaiah, you've risen to the fold. Um, Once again, for you, what are non-negotiable things you have to have in a corner? And then what are the things that you like to have? They're optional, but you'd like to have them if you can have them. Uh, stuff I absolutely have to have in a corner is a corner that can pretty much do everything that can fit in most schemes, but that's highly unlikely. Normally, a player that's able to do that more like a safety converted, like a Jalen Ramsey. But even that, I'm not a fan of Ramsey. Uh, okay, so let, let me just clarify. Doing everything can't be a non-negotiable because almost nobody can do it. So what are the things you absolutely have whoa, to whoa, have? Whoa, 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 <laughs> You said doing everything, but that's, that's not even All a right, quality. Matthew did everything. So, yeah, but it's not a quality. Doing everything is not a quality. Doing everything is something, is a pie in the high, it's kind of a pie in the sky thing. What do you actually have to have? Because you, you if you're waiting for everything, you're not going to have many chances to find that. What do you actually have to have? Like something you absolutely have to have. Corners that, you know, uh Oh. You okay? Hear me? Yeah. Are you okay, Isaiah? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, bad coverage. Oh, okay. I was afraid that something is shorted out within you. <laughs> no. Never. So once again, the qualities that you have to have in a corner are determination, uh speed, the willingness, you know, to the willing. Okay. Uh I don't know. Hard to describe. All righty. Well, then, what are the optional things? Things you don't have to have, but you'd like to have at a corner. Things that you look for, you know, and like I said, you can live without them, but you'd like to find them.
You still with us, Isaiah? Okay. Jim Coburn, first of all, sorry for interrupting yeah. you. Um, <laughs> same, same question. What What do you need in a corner? What are the things you look for in a corner? Oh, okay. Uh, well, I look for quickness. Uh, I, I just want to see, um, you know, above average explosiveness a lot of times. Uh, depending on the type of team we're talking about, we're talking about a zone corner, even though they don't need necessarily to be the fastest guy, you will at least see that they're explosive and short area quickness. Basically, alligator like, right? You know, you guys know alligators, you know, that like strike things, short distances. Uh, that, that's kind of what I look for in some numbers. Uh, fluidity, I think, is a big thing, a uh, must at most positions. Um, you know, fast is fluid, and fluid is fast. Uh, you know, they have fluid, really rare. They don't take false steps. Uh, and you don't want to see signs of this. Uh, at times, um, it's kind of the difference between the great cornerbacks and the decent cornerbacks. How the guys can go through the transitions as as possible. Uh, sometimes where athletic test comes into play, I'll get to that a little bit later. But yeah, fluidity is a big plus. For me, flexibility. Offenses uh, are flexible for their size. Uh, it's also kind of just a stiffness, but also flexible enough to, to maintain leverage. You know. Even if you're a short cornerback, if you're going up against a wide receiver, you do need to stay on your ground a little bit. And a lot of that has to do with, uh, main, you know, being able to maintain leverage, at least being flexible enough to maintain leverage. So that's something I kind of look for. Um, power. Uh, I, I measure power in terms of two things. Effective punch. I think punch is one of the most important qualities any quarterback, quarterback has to have. Uh, one, in terms of press in terms of knocking the bar receiver to shake him up off the OS, you know, mess up, disrupt the time. You want a cornerback that's able to do have a good punch. And if they don't have a good punch, it's kind of tough to break it that way. But punch is one of those things that I, I've seen a lot of guys, you know, in college that didn't have a good punch. They never really got better, you know, uh, for whatever reason. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can kind of teach and coach it up a little bit. It's something that um, a lot of guys, uh, even if you don't know place them very well, and even if you don't know a lot of things, if you get a good punch, it's naturally you can develop. Um, but yeah, punch and also being able to shoot blocks quickly, uh, you know, helping the run game. Uh, I also look for uh, guys that uh, have really strict skills. Uh, it's one of the reasons I really like Jason Burrow. It's another reason why I like other cornerbacks. I like cornerbacks to be proactive. Uh, and what they, you know, they, 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 they run play, they go in and stop the run play. If it's a pass play, they get themselves a bit react to the passing So I, I was guys strongly understand what offenses you're trying to do to them and also have the skill to uh, disrupt from the kind of standpoint. And also consistency. You know, I, I, I want cornerbacks that are uh, – you know, that have reliability under, you know, pressure um, that are week to week. They show the same, um, they, they show the same things. Uh, and also the high focus IQ, because I believe if you're a guy that watches a lot of tape and is, is, is a tape, you know, tape junkie, uh, you're not going to be fooled as much every other week like some guys are. Which is understandable why guys might be fooled, but. Uh, it's something where if you're watching a ton of tape and you're a 
high football IQ guy, you're not gonna, you know, you shouldn't fall for as many things. Um, but I look for that. I'm a big guy in the tackling. Um, I don't like cornerbacks that are bad against tackling, or at least don't show effort in tackling. Uh, it's a big thing with Justin Gilbert that I never liked at all with him was just didn't yeah. like tackling. Didn't no, like not a fan. In front support. And uh, it, it was something that really bugged me about him uh, and really hurt his ego overall. Um, and uh, it's something I think even with Seattle corner, just go back to Seattle, all those guys are good in run support. All those guys are tough. They can get their nose and stop the run. Um, and I just kind of think that that's a quality that you have to have. Uh, it's just a must-have position. I know people make fun of Deion Sanders and go, oh, he made business decisions. Yeah, he made business decisions, but he tackled people too, guys. Like, you know, like, yep. that. I thought when, he, when he had to, when he wanted to, he would tackle people. Tackle people. When he, when he, he knew he had to make play, he made play. Uh, and that's that quality that certain quarterbacks in the class until probably gets later, I just didn't like because of those sort of things. But, uh, yeah, um, so I kind of look for that. Uh, skills and make really. I mean, it's a part of it, right? That's where Justin Joe kind of tells a lot of things. I, I like to see that they, that they could read the quarterback's eyes, get their head turned around, and, and actually adjust to the football in the air. That they that you know what what type of hands do they have? Do they catch the ball away from the body? Uh, can they make difficult catches? Which is something that you won't see any quarterbacks do. But when they when they do, it's also a beautiful thing. Um, but you do want to judge you know what their ball skills are like. The ability to you know to catch a ball in tight coverage is another plus because many times at the NFL, that's how you're going to get your interceptions a lot. Um, is just having to play a guy in tight coverage and having an interception on situation. So I like to see a guy to do that. And also I want to see him when they have opportunities. So not when the wide receiver still, you know, has his feet on the air and you haven't tackled him yet, but I, I like to see them try to strip the ball, you know, uh, the Charleston of all. I like to see quarterbacks that are trying to make a play uh, on the, from that standpoint of knocking the ball out, pushing the ball out, um, whatever to get the ball out and make a play. Um, that's the quality I kind of like overall. Um, but, yeah, and I mean, in terms of what I like in a corner, it really just depends on uh, the type of scheme you're running. I mean, I like man corners. Man corners, in my opinion, they have to be fast because you're asking them to cover guys across vast distances. And it helps to be faster when you're doing that. Uh, if you're a zone guy, I don't necessarily think you don't, you know, you don't necessarily have to be that fast if you're a zone guy. Um, because, you know, you, but you do have to be, like I said, explosive. You do have to be a guy that's quick and a guy that can move in short area uh, fast um, and accurately as well uh, in terms of, you know, what you're doing. No, you know, no false steps. Fluidity is a big part of that. So it's kind of like all those in one. You know, I like aggressiveness. I like guys that are strong tacklers. Um, I like the guys that have, depending on the type of scheme that I think they get the best in, I like to have certain qualities for that. Um, length is, I mean, it's, it's important, you know, um, in terms of the guys, I mean, 
you know, me being a metrics guy, the vast majority of the elite cornerbacks have had above average arm length, which is true. But at the same time, there's also a bunch of guys that have above average arm length who aren't the best quarterbacks. So I kind of – length is really kind of icing on top for me. Uh, it's not it's not something where I look at length and, and make that a huge portion. Like, if he doesn't have length, then it's just all, oh, what was, you know, I don't know what to do. Like, it's just one of those things where I was facing that other, you know, that 2014 draft class where Jason Brett was the best cornerback. Um, it's at least to be based on all, you know, how I evaluate guys. And I know there were guys that were taller. I know there were guys that had more length. And I know there were guys that had all these other things. But sometimes it doesn't matter. And I think that that's something that a lot of times you have to, as, as a scout, uh, you have to look at all the facts the variables and everything else you see and what you see on tape and then make a decision on whether or not it matters or it doesn't matter. Um, and uh, I, that's just kind of what it, that's to most of these things anyway. Um, you know, as I say with the fact change, I change my mind. But, yeah, I, you know, I just look for corners that have all those sort of qualities. And uh, in terms of, you know, I could get into athletic stuff, but, you know, why? Because that, that's another long discussion. I know I also do production stuff as well, which is on my site as well. I tell you I'll just look at thresholds for production of uh, certain types of players. Now, a lot of that stuff backs up a lot of the stuff I've done. These guys that do really well in terms of what tackles and interceptions and pass deflections, those guys typically, majority of them end up being long-term starters or greatest all-time players, whereas the guys who are on the lower end of that spectrum usually either become starters, some of them, or they kind of just you know, become just it depends. So it's 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 uh it just depends on a lot of things. Yeah, those are at least some of the things I look for at the cornerback position now. But above all aggressiveness. I mean I like aggressive corners, um, especially as long as you have really good safety. Which is a big if in the NFL, but I <laughs> yes, I've always come to believe that safeties are supposed to be safe. They're supposed to be the, the, the level headed person of the group. Uh, you know, the, the smarter guy, the smartest guy, in your, your, you know, the smartest player needs to be the safety. And then the quarterback can just go nuts and go crazy and go make plays. You know, at least that's my general philosophy at the, the DB position. But um, I know that that isn't always going to be the case. Sometimes you're going to have a really aggressive cornerback and then your safety is Chris Conley. And then you just have to deal with it, you know. But, you know, hopefully you have a good safety so you can have an aggressive corner. Yeah, I, I myself, and I, I played a little bit of corner, but it's primarily a safety. Um, quick feet, and this is reminded. I was reminded of this when I was uh, in Los Angeles for NFL PA game practices, and I got a chance to talk to Daryl Green, who I don't get starstruck very often, but I interviewed him for Pro Player Insiders, and I was talking to him about coaching because he's, I guess, for the past three years in a row, he's been out there coaching the um, the corners, and he had the Dixon twins the year I was talking to him from Northwest Missouri State, and these are two guys that had done man press pretty much their entire football careers. So they a little bit of other stuff, but had mostly done man press, and they'd never played off man in their lives, not high school, not college, not youth league, never. And so in three days, he taught them <laughs> uh, off man coverage, and he did, I mean, he's 
they were great, you know, right? But um, you would, if you didn't know, if you saw, you know, the Dixon Twins playing in the NFLPA game and they played some off man, and I told you, you know, they've been doing it for years, you would believe me. Um, part of it's because they were good enough athletes, they picked it up, you know, very pretty quickly. So I need things. I need foot quickness. Um, I don't care which system it is. There's one thing that's the same, both if you're man, especially man, but it's also still true in zone. If you don't have good foot quickness, I don't care if you're fast or you're long, whatever, if you have bad feet, you're done. You're not going to make it. Hello, Stanley Jean-Baptiste. I'm looking at you. So even if you're fast in a straight line, but you've got bad feet, you know, your feet aren't quick enough to allow you to change direction, you're only going to be able to cover, you know, fades and, uh, go routes, you know, post routes, you know. So anything that involves changes the direction, you're going to get lost on. Um, I've got to have intelligence. I think people, like I said, people I think really undersell how important intelligence is. That's another thing that determines how many coverages you can run is the intelligence of your players. So I need intelligence. You know, I need a guy who can absorb information. And, yes, I most definitely need tackling. I mean, if you're not, I need mental toughness and physical toughness from my corners. Once again, no matter what system you run, I've got to have that. In, in you know, because it, whether it be, especially in, you know, in cover two, often your contained player, your in-man on the line of scrimmage, in essence, is your corner. And Peanut Tillman, so the, and guys like Rondé Barber, so the excellent examples of that. Well, Rondé's not the biggest guy in the world. In fact, Rondé is not much bigger. I mean, he's a fraction of his taller than I am and probably, you know, would never weighed more than about 186 pounds in his entire life. But he's a terrific tackler. Not good, not above average. He was a terrific tackler. And big guys, little guys, running backs, whoever, he brought them down, brought them all down. So, you know, tackling is always been more a mentality than, you know, there are lots of big, strong corners can't tackle worth a darn. And guys like Pat Fisher and, you know, the aforementioned Rondé Barber who, who lay people out for a living and do it beautifully. But that's how I look at corners. And there's guys like Michael Jordan, and you mentioned uh, DeAndre Hall, his his partner in crime at UNI, Mackington Dorlon. That kid's going to light it up at the pro day. Uh, Hall's a good player, but he's not the athlete that Mackington Dorlon is. He's going to these guys going to light it up. Uh, I'm going to try to get Michael Jordan, uh, if not this week, then next week on the show, and I'm trying to land Mackington Dorlon as well. Those are guys that I think people are sort of sleeping on. They're going to be really, really good. And Jordan's a big corner. Uh, Dorlon's, you know, 170-some-odd pounds and 5'11 and change, but very, very fast and tough for his size. Like most Haitian kids, you know, you don't see too many Haitian kids in, 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 in football who are, who are afraid to get, you know, mix it up. Uh, Haitians are not afraid of anything uh, for the most part. But, um, you know, those are, there's a lot of guys in this draft who would be successful, especially if you're not looking for a certain kind of corner are going to be successful. There's, like I said, there's just not too many of the Patrick Petersons because there's not many Patrick Petersons. God doesn't make many of them. That's, so you have to know what you, what you really want and what you really need. Um, since we talked corners, and corners and safeties, God willing, work well together, let me just roll it into safety because it's a weird safety class. And Well, I will see what people think. Um, so, Lawrence, you, just, you said you obviously spent a lot of time watching you know, the Legion of Boom. And to me, the most important player in that defense, the person you can't live without, in essence, is your deep middle safety, and that's Earl Thomas. Now, there's no Earl Thomas, unfortunately, to be had in this draft, but it's an interesting draft class. What have you noticed about the safety class? Uh, who do you like and why? Uh, 
And then who don't you like and why, I guess, like, you can throw in as well. Yeah. Um, oh, I one of the guys I really like is Jordan Lomack. Um, I was watching him, oh, man, I want to say probably about a month ago, and uh, definitely does not have the closing speed that Earl Thomas has, but, you know, he's he's really physical and he can cover ground. Um not quite a sideline to sideline guy. He, he he's more systematical. But uh one of the guys that that intrigues me a lot is uh Jalen Mills. Um you know he's he's a really good real real good cover corner. I uh he, he has he played with a couple good safeties this year and uh he benefited from that I think but I've seen him cover a lot of ground and uh he supports the run really well, and, and that's what I like about Earl. He's, I want to say, 5'10", 210, 5'10", 5'10", 3'8", to be exact. And yeah. he was 198 at the combine. He may have gained a little bit of weight. I doubt he's even up to 210, though. He's probably barely over 200. Yeah, and, and he'll come down to support the run, and that's what I like about Jalen Mills. And uh, flipping over to probably – I could see Cash – being a free safety, they have him listed as, as a strong safety because he plays around the line of scrimmage a lot. But there's a few instances where he, uh, you know, he's asked to come down and cover the slot, and he, he makes a lot of good plays. He's, he's a real good playmaker, and they've had him cover the back a couple times. And, uh, you know, again, I like his closing speed, and he's, he's a little bigger, but I can see him fitting yeah. into a free safety role because um, he can play sideline to sideline, and I think he's going to have a really good combine. He's pretty explosive. And uh, other than that, um, I'm interested to see what teams do with Jalen Ramsey. Cause, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, he can play corner, he can play safety, but I could see him being a tackle, tackle I keep, player. I keep hearing people saying, you know, he's going to be great in the deep middle. I don't know what they're basing that on. I've never seen it, or I can't find. Maybe I'm missing it. Where is he doing that? Where is he playing deep middle? Well, and and he's not. He's not playing deep middle. But you can. <laughs> see, like, but you can see, like like a like a Terry Matthew. You know, he college. He was cornerback. You know, he he was a lockdown corner in college, and, and now the way that the Cardinals utilize him, you know, he's playing the free safety position most of the time, playing all over the field. And that's the type of player I feel like Jalen Ramsey could be. You know, um, he's really, really explosive. He's a, he's a thumper, and he's got really, really good ball skills. And you can tell based off of what he does that, you know, he's a student in the game. You know, he makes a lot of good reads, follows the – he doesn't really get – when I was watching him, you, you don't really ever see him get – really manipulated by the quarterback size, and that's huge. And you can tell that that comes from watching a lot of film. But uh, I don't know. It is a weird safety class. Um, There's not really, you know, that number one safety unless you were to move Jalen Ramsey, you know, into the backfield. But uh, I don't know. It's a tough one for me. but I'll go back to the first guy I talked about, and that's Jordan Jordan Lomax. Um, I think that 
I I personally think that he might be the best safety in this class. You know, because uh, Iowa did have a really a really solid defense, and Desmond King, you know, was their shutdown guy. I guess you could say, but. Jordan Lomax is definitely intriguing. He's his measurables. I'm pretty sure I don't have him on hand, but I'm pretty sure they're pretty close to Earl Thomas's. And, and you see him stick every everywhere the ball's thrown, he's in the picture. You know when you're watching tape, if uh, if a guy's catching a ball, he's you know three steps away, and uh, yeah, he, he's a really intriguing player for me. So I I need to probably need to dig a little deeper into more of the safeties just because I don't know, lately there hasn't really been that guy, you know, in the last couple drafts. Um, Another one that comes to mind is probably Deion Bush who I don't know how high teams are going to be on him but I could see him being a guy that comes in, you know, and and surprises a lot of teams. But uh, I don't know, it's it's a really weird class like you said. So I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Uh, Shane, same question, but I'll tweak it slightly. As was mentioned, it's a difficult class to to wrap your hands around sometimes because it is there's a lot of specialists, I'll put it that way, uh, to be had who are really good at their specialty. You have this player that a lot of people are saying is the best safety in the class, but he doesn't really play safety, at least not very often. I mean, not in the way that I envision safety being played, but a lot of people love him anyway. Uh, So I'll ask you, so Shane, first of all, where do you think the strength of the class is and where do you think the weakness of the class is? And then who do you think are the safeties that we'll be talking about, you know, years from now in this class? Uh, When you talk about strength and weaknesses, you talk about, Throughout every position, or do you just want to focus on safety? Right now, we're talking about the safety class. Just talking about, yeah, okay. Um, I think you know Ramsey is the, you know, the cream of the crop, and um, I know Jim's come up with an interesting um, position for him, the edge safety. <laughs> um, the edge safety. But yeah. I think he is a is a safety. He's not a cornerback, and um, you know I think you play him in that. Um, in the Woodson role in Green Bay and in his later career in uh in Oakland. Um, you know, I think he can be also he's got some strong safety qualities like like Eric Berry out of Tennessee. Um I do think he's an elite player. I I think he's an elite defensive back because the the lines have become so blurred. Um the, the NFL is so desperate for middle of the field defensive backs and that means nickel and dime and free and strong just non-boundary defensive backs. Um, Ramsey, is, it's hard to top him. You can't ask for much more, I, I think, from, from, a, from a prospect like him. I, so he's clearly the, the top guy. And then it's, it's weak. You know, Jalen, uh, excuse me, J. Ron Curse was a guy that as a freshman I knew a lot about, you know, touted him as a freshman and sophomore. And when you're a freshman, you don't have to be a first-round pick. You just have to, you know, look like it and kind of have some plays like it and show you're developing enough to start getting that conversation. He did that. Last year, he had some nice games, and he came into this year with a lot of hype, and he just didn't develop at all. And I, I think he could have really been uh, sort of the saving grace after Ramsey in his class, but uh, I don't see it with him. 
Jeremy Cash. I see him getting compared to Deion Buchanan. Um, and I just don't, you know, I don't see that. You know, Deion Buchanan's made the transition to inside linebacker. Um, I like Cash, but he's a, he's a day two guy, I think, for me. Just a couple of guys that I like a, a pretty good bit is uh, I like Von Bell in round two probably. I think he's got legit um, legit claim to being a, a true safety. Uh, yep. I like Carl Joseph. Um, Carl Joseph is a guy that you're going to have to be um, you're going to have to be aware of what he isn't when you draft him. Uh, so he is kind of scheme dependent. I overestimated Landon Collins. And and I think in a multiple defensive setting where he could come down and be that, like James says, an edge safety or that Dion Buchanan, I think Collins would thrive. I think Joseph is similar, so you have to kind of contextualize him. But I do like Carl Joseph a lot. Um, I like K.J. Dillon as well in a later round from West Virginia. But so without just like naming off guys and saying I like them, I don't love this, this safety class at all. I, I don't really know how you could. Um, I agree with what you said earlier. Keanu Neal is a thumper. He's he's very much willing to hit, but I don't think he is as fundamentally sound and and well-rounded as Deion Buchanan was coming out. I think another year would have would have really benefited him, especially in a system like Florida that plays a lot of NFL principles. Learn as much as you can and get better. Um and then the last one is uh, Tyvis Powell from Ohio State. I, I see some people that, that really like him. Um, probably a mid-round guy for me. This class is going to be one of those guys where um, you're going to take one or two guys early, and then the rest of them are going to pick you know, around four through six and seven. You know, I, I don't know if we'll look back and say this is a great, strong, or great safety class um, with the way that the NFL is trending, but there are some names to where – it's just so hard for me, admittedly, to scout safeties with you know without the all twenty-two uh, and knowing you know what they're supposed to do. Um, but I know that there's some guys that I've seen buzz about Dion uh, Bush from Miami, Jordan Lomax from Iowa, um, Jamie Bird from South Florida, uh, and then of course Justin Simmons from Boston College. I think those guys are good players. Just draft them in contact context. I know the NFL needs safeties, but Draft the better players and let the value fall to you. Um, so I think in you know, three, six years, we're going to be looking at this class. It's like I said you know, earlier in the show, this is a depth class. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be some starters that develop that we don't predict. I'm sure some guys we think are going to be good are going to fall off. That happens every year. But I think for the most part, you're going to see a lot of uh, James and Hedebo type safeties out of this class. They're going to start for some teams, but in an ideal world, they wouldn't. Um, maybe that's the best way to phrase it and sum it all up. James Nhedebo is a good player. He's a nice player. Ideally, he wouldn't be your starting safety, in my opinion, but he's starting. He's starting for a few years now, uh, and you kind of have to start those guys in this NFL. Sure. Sort of like starting Brian Hoyer at quarterback. So Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) So, so Jim, same question. Um, What do you think of the class as a whole, and then who are some of the guys that have caught your attention and why, and then other there's guys that you think are underrated or overrated uh, that have, that you paid some attention uh, to those particular players. Sure. Um, well, for, to, to clear the air on Dion Buchanan, um, it's it's something that, and I know you, Bill, have noticed this, uh, where everybody's like, he's leaving next to Dion Buchanan. Uh, 
he's going to make the transition to linebacker. This is the thing about Dion Buchanan a lot of people don't know or didn't pay attention to or whatever. When Dion Buchanan was at Washington State, uh, he was the one that was actually calling on the defensive plays. Yep. He was essentially the middle linebacker of that defense uh, and was responsible for a, a hell of a lot more than he probably should have been for a safety, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yes. And yes. it's not surprising, at least to me, knowing that in hindsight that a guy had made the transition to the middle linebacker at the NFL uh, considering what he had to go through at Washington State. Um, the type of football IQ you have to have to do that. The the ability to, like, he has done this before, it's just now he's at the NFL level, he just happens to be in the body of a safety. Uh, because I think, again, is another guy where I think he gets a bad rep because I think people go, oh, he's working on linebackers, so obviously he never would have been a safety. I, I, I disagree with that. I think if he went to another team, he would have been just fine at strong safety. I just think that because there's a Cardinals have no linebackers because of drug reasons and because they just drafted poorly. Uh, they just kind of were like, they didn't know what to do. And as we all know, they have an abundance of safeties. I mean, come on, guys. They had Tyron Matthew, they had Tony Jefferson, they had Rashad Johnson, and Yon Buchanan. Like, they had all this stuff. So they're like, oh, we have all these safeties. So, oh, we have this, we have this one safety who – called all the defensive plays at Washington State, like a linebacker. Huh. Hmm. Yeah, what do we do here? And then they, you know, they did that. So it's it's one of those situations where right place, right time, right player. Um, Jeremy Cash isn't calling all the plays like a linebacker at, at Duke. Uh, Jalen Ramsey isn't calling all the plays at Florida State. Uh, Drawn Curse definitely is a calling the dude. So I think anybody who compares a guy to Young Buchanan or says that a guy is going to be the next Young Buchanan out of this draft class in general is going to be a little disappointed because you're asking a guy to do something that he never proved he could do at the next level. It's not to say that these aren't guys that could, you know, be stuck at the linebacker position and do a good job. It's just you're asking a guy to have that level of intelligence to be able to call plays, get people lined up in the right place. Like, middle linebacker-like thing, which is something that Dion Buchanan did, but most of the other safeties in this class didn't do. So, not to mention all the other sort of stuff, like athleticism and all that kind of stuff. So, with that said, um, the safety class, I think it's it's good. Um, I don't think it's I think it's a class that has a lot of depth in it, um, which I think is what most people get at. There's no superstar safety guy or anything like that in this class. Uh, Jalen Ramsey, um, just to me, based on, one, his production in college was nickel nickel cornerback to cornerback. Uh, When you put on the tape, you see a nickel cornerback, cornerback. I think he's a cornerback. Um, I think he's going to be a very good cornerback. Um, I don't see a great understanding of angles when he did play nickel cornerback 100%. I didn't see incredible discipline. You know, he was a very hyper-aggressive guy. I think he's better suited to play cornerback as a aggressive player 
versus the safety position where being hyper-aggressive is not necessarily the best thing in the world um, if you want to prevent touchdowns and stuff like that. So while I do think he's a great athlete, I do think he's a guy that people get really excited about, uh, and they see that he played safety, and they're like, oh, look, he's listed at safety, and he, and he played safety that year. I think people are kind of taking the name and rolling with it versus what he actually was doing those years. Which what he did was great. It was good. But I don't think it was, uh, you know, the level of angles and and just sure tackling. None of that stuff really equates to Ramsey 100%. But he is somebody who's very aggressive. He can make plays. Uh, is a great blitzer. You know, does a lot of really good things. I just think that he's not necessarily a guy that has the, uh, you know, the football intelligence to really um, do what, like, a deal McCann is going to do. So, uh, at least he hasn't proven that stuff yet. So, I, I, I do, I just like Ramsey at cornerback a lot better. Um, Von Bell, I'm a big fan of. He's my top three safety in this class. Um, he's got his ball skills. He's got to cover um, guys well in man and zone. Um, he's a guy that's a pretty sure tackler. Got a lot better this year in terms of that as well. And I just think he's the best sort of pure free safety guy technically in this class. Um, I'm a big – I mean, I'm not a big fan of Justin Simmons, but I do like Justin Simmons. Um, I'm really interested to see how he tests, though, uh, because he had a lot of issues with speed against Florida State, guys. And uh, it it was ugly. Uh, other than that, though, I mean, he's a high-character guy. Uh, he's a smart player on tape. He's, he's a guy that tackle, makes plays, tackles. Um, and I think if he passes the test and everything like that, I think he could be somebody that could play for safety. Um, he's not going to be a incredible free safety, but I think he's somebody that could definitely be um, Brian Hoyer's safety, right? You know, I think he could, be, he could potentially get up to that level. Um, Trey Elston at Ole Miss is another free safety type that I think is a little underrated as well in the class. I think he could play a position well, well has decent ball skills, smart, um, rangy, um, all that kind of stuff. I like Trey Dudley-Giles from uh, UMass. Uh, he's a guy that played cornerback, and then he made the transition to free safety and actually did play deep, a little bit deep middle, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, and uh, he's a guy that has ball skills. He's a guy that's smart, instinctive, sort of against the pass, and uh, not a terrible tackler either. Um, but he's a guy that I think is a, a lower level day three kind of guy. You definitely have a you, you definitely have something there that's kind of interesting. And of course, uh, Clayton uh, Bill, what's his last name from from uh, Illinois or yeah, Illinois? Sorry, which Clayton were you talking about? Uh, Clayton uh, Illinois State. Oh, that's who you're talking about. Right. Clayton Sedgenin. Oh yeah. Yes. Sedgenin or something like that. Yes, Sedgenin. Right. Yes. All right. Uh, he's he's somebody that I'm a big fan of as well. Um, not a big fan, but you know, we'll say. Um, strong safety. I think honestly, the, there's more depth at free safety. Strong safety. You got your Jeremy Cash, and I think is your classic strong safety type. Um, who has some issues in terms of coverage, but, you know, it's just something where 
like most strong safeties that come in the NFL, it's something where either they live or they die based on how well they do against the passing game. So Cash, I just haven't seen, you know, really cover guys in man that much um, from the tape I've seen. Kind of plays closer to LOS. That's kind of an edge safety. So it, you know, so, so but but he is someone I think is explosive. He's got smarty stuff, good against the run. Um, he's a guy that could fit on teams with strong safety. Kevin Bayard out of Middle Tennessee State is another strong safety I really like uh, as a potential starter. Uh, he's another guy that is smart, tack, sure tackler, um, does all that kind of stuff. Carl Joseph, I like. Same kind of stuff as Shane. Um, I, I think he's a good tackler. I just haven't seen him. And he was doing a little bit of it, and then he got injured. <laughs> But I didn't see a ton of him playing uh, in man coverage a lot uh, and doing extremely well with that. He did a little bit of that, and then he got injured. You know, I just didn't see enough of that because uh, I saw him go up against a couple. Uh, I think it was like Georgia Southern, or something. yeah, Georgia Southern kind of wide receivers. I just would like to have seen him go up against a, I don't know a different kind of wide receiver. Maybe I don't know, but. Um, just to see how he kind of did with that situation. But, um, and Michael Caputo is another strong safety type. He's a white safety, so, you know, but but he's, he, he is uh, a good tackler. He's a guy that uh, is uh, a little, can be a little crazy at times, but um, he, he is somebody that I think is could develop into a strong safety, a starting strong safety at the next level. Um, the rest of the guys, Tony Connor, um, Jaron Curse. Jaron Curse is just a guy that I, I don't trust at all to play any safety spot. Um, he's uh, always taking well, you, off. You, you know, you know who loves you know who loves Jaron Curse? Derrick Henry loves Jaron Curse. That's who loves Jaron Curse because wow. that kid and his run fit or lack thereof um, up created a big play for Derrick Henry. That That's wouldn't true. have been there otherwise. But as I say, John Curse, he's not really edge safety. He's a, he's a no safety. The safety that you know, sits in the middle of the field, takes up space, doesn't really do a lot. Um, you know, he, if he does do something, he's usually over-pursuing something. I can't tell you how many plays, especially to get all 22, I can't tell you how many plays he's, biting on coverage, getting mm-hmm. out of position, and then it's bye-bye, you know, um, with with different guys, especially big plays down the field. And, of course, it'd be, you know, it'd be great if we can Alexander, you know, with like tackles, but I'm not going to get into that. Um, but, yeah, there, there were many times where I saw Kurt just, he's, he's just mentally, from a mental standpoint, he's just, just not there. Physically speaking, he's a guy that I know a lot of people were really excited about, and even people that were that were projecting as much as like he could potentially cover Rob Gronkowski and all these big tight ends and all these other sort of things. And then I go, well, how do you know he can cover those guys if he's never actually covered tight ends that much? Um, you know, and man, sort of covered sort of schemes, especially taller tight ends. Um, and he's like, well, you know. You can't basically think of that because it's college. I'm like, yeah, but if you're, you can't just say because a guy is six foot four, six foot three, and 220 pounds, you'd be able to cover Robert Gronkowski. Like that's just kind of dumb. Well, by know. that by that theory, somewhere 
in America, Stanley Jean-Baptiste is shutting down Rob Gronkowski, if that's how it works. Right, exactly. So it's, yeah, yeah, you know, at least to me. I, I, I thought Kirsch should have stayed in school, but obviously he left because Clemson lost and everybody left. So he's like, I might as well leave too, you know, because, you know, whatever. Um, and plus he, he constantly gets like late for sort of stuff, but, you know, whatever. For for whatever uh, reason. <laughs> yeah. So SAC, which I'll get I'll get into SAC. So SAC, as I said before, is a position where you're not really free safety, you're not really strong safety 100 percent because safety is a position where you're kind of rushing the passer a good deal. Um, you know, taking on uh, right tackles and. You know, guys that the, the Packers started at tackle, uh, the Vikings to, you know, you're taking on the slow-footed tackle that, even though they're big and powerful, they could catch a little water bug guy like you. You know, uh, basically doing what Eric Strecker did to Cyrus Quanta. I know Shane's very familiar with what happened. Uh, that that sort of thing, which I think could happen in the NFL. I think these guys all have the athletic ability. And I think how they were used in college uh, speaks to more edge safety than actual full-time service edge player or full-time service safety player, just because I don't think they have at least the instincts or the football intelligence yet to really do true blue safety without giving up a lot of plays. You keep them close to the line of scrimmage, you're not going to be giving up in any plays. That's what I'm saying. Like, on that ranking, I have at at number one, I have uh, Miles Jack. Uh, I think he's, as a linebacker, outside linebacker, I I just question that. He's always been kind of a little coverage guy um, who kind of does his little thing there. He's a guy that can rush the passer. He's a guy that does a lot of the things there. I think he's a guy that, on pure potential, could be the best edge safety in the class um, and athletic ability. Um, and I think he's worth the risk if you were to do, you know, that sort of thing with him. Because it's, it's kind of the position he played. He was not really a linebacker, was not really a safety. He was an edge safety. <laughs> That's what he was, UCLA in many ways. Uh, Jalen Ramsey also, I think, could be an edge safety. He's shown that he can rush the passer. He's shown that he can swat the football like J.J. Watt um, and potentially get interceptions and go for touchdowns. I'm surprised he never did that, though. That's kind of, you know, but... You know, he could develop into that, maybe, right? He could, you know, intercept the ball and take it in for a touchdown. Um, he's a guy that is good in terms of, you know, coverage and short, you know, short distance, short area, um, press sort of situation. So, yeah, that could fit that well. Leonard Floyd, I think, is edge safety. Um, he, he doesn't have enough size to really hold up at edge. I know this because anytime he gets double teamed, it's, if you want to see something fun to watch, watch watch Leonard Floyd get double teamed because it's I've never I've seen people get beat up though on many occasions, but Leonard Floyd gets destroyed when he gets double teamed. Um it's like hard to watch in terms of how much these tackles take him out. So Ooh, I, I think he's much better suited as a as a as an edge safety. Yeah, the, the, term, that, the term the term the term that people use in the business is thrown out of the club. He gets thrown out of the club. 
saw the club pretty viciously, though. Head first, uh, you know, uh, yeah, everything you can imagine. Um, yeah, it's, it's bad. Um, and then he's also passed out. People do stuff to his body. It's just not good. Um, but yeah, that, that's where Floyd is a full-time edge guy. As an edge safety guy, I think he could work out better there. He is a guy that has the speed to catch tackles off guard that aren't very good, athletically speaking. Um, and uh, I think he's a guy that could fit, fit that position well. He's also a guy that's shown that he can cover guys in man. He doesn't know what he's doing, but he at least has the athletic ability to cover guys in man fairly well in terms of hips and stuff like that. He just doesn't have clue what he's doing, awareness-wise. So he's a guy that's kind of developed there. Sue Cravens, I think, is an edge safety. I know Bill is kind of upset that he was taken from safety, taken from you, you know. And uh, they never gave him back. Uh, and now he's just kind of like, I don't know what I am anymore. But I think he could, you know, do that as to, you know, in between safety, in between linebacker, uh, in between rusher kind of role. And they tried to rush him this year. In fact, at one point this year, he was USC's top rusher. So, um, you know, so there you go. Like, he could do both. He could do rush. He could do coverage stuff. Um, Darren Lee comes in as well. Same sort of thing, you know, in terms of pass coverage ability, rushing ability. Isn't quite an elite rusher, isn't quite an elite pass coverage guy, but can do both. And that's kind of what the edge safety position is, you know, the name. Eric Stryker is there. That's kind of a – this is a position you always were, but these guys are just more athletic than you, so they get put above you. But he's guy has a lot of experience playing the edge safety position. In fact, that's kind of what the position was up on those years. And I think that that's kind of what his position would best be like there. And ending the group is, of course, Jaron Curse, who is kind of a potential starting edge safety, um, who has the physical tools to do it. But, you know, all the guys I mentioned, Stryker, Lee, Cravens, Floyd, Ramsey, Jack, have all shown more ability to rush the passer than Curse has, despite him being related to that Curse. So, um, so rank striker. Uh, where where'd you rank where'd you rank striker amongst your your oh, edge safety striker class? Striker is one, two, three, four, five, six. Really? Okay, I thought he'd be higher. Oh well, you know, it, it doesn't matter where he gets put though. He gets put more athletic lower, I guess. But he could be like that, uh, you know. Uh, he could be like the, he could like prove me wrong, right? You know, and, and go, ha ha! I I invented this position, and I'm the number one guy. Like maybe you know, but it depends. Yeah, got it. Well, I'm protective of the position because it's you know kind of my position or whatever it was. I really like Kevin Bayard, and I think a lot of people are sleeping on him, but I think that won't last that much longer. I think he's going to have a, a nice career. Von Bell is a really complete player. I mean, he's one of the guys that really seems to understand. Um, Cash is an interesting player, and I know a lot of people are down on certain things about him. Some people think he can't cover at all. Some people think, you know, I think he could – cover tight ends, so he can cover running backs, so he can cover the slot as long as it's, you know, like a Jordan Matthews, Eric Decker kind of slot receiver. I get a little nervous if we're talking about, you know, Julian Edelman, but 
who who can cover a guy like that. You know, that's 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 a short list of people that that do well against somebody who's a really super quick, precise route runner like him. And he's very good in the run game. And, of course, as you mentioned, he can rush the passer. Uh, once again, I think he fits well in certain places. I think he would do very well in sort of the Cam Chancellor-esque kind of role. And I think he could uh, be a guy that has a – though he would never be as immensely built up as a guy like Landry. Um, and But I think he'd be a better player, kind uh, <laughs> of like – like Leron Landry, uh, but you know, once again, sort of your enforcer safety, and obviously there's not as much enforcement, unfortunately, that you can do with the position with the present rules. But I think he's going to have a, a successful and long career and, and fill a certain role. I was very high on Carl Joseph pre-injury, and uh, I guess for him, the medical will be extremely important. He needs to to win the medical, and then you know show what he can do academically, athletically. Uh, show that he's, you know, back at, at 100 or close to 100% from where he was prior to getting hurt. Uh, Justin Simmons was mentioned, and once again, if, as long as you don't need somebody to be super, super athletic, I think he's going to, uh, you know, to fit in pretty well with, with certain situations. Um, if you can anticipate certain things, you have a high football IQ, you can make up for the fact that you're not, a, you know, a, an amazing athlete in terms of, of foot quickness and speed, I still think that people underestimate how much quickness still counts at the safety position. And it helps if you have long speed, obviously, especially in certain systems where you're expected to be the eraser of everything that happens in the back half. If you're playing a lot of single high safety, then yes, you can't just be quick. You have to also be fast uh, because you will be expected sometimes to you know, to go from one side of the field to the other. And that's the one thing I, when I say it's a weird class, the athletes, interesting enough, or the super athletes are not the little safeties, they're the big safeties. And it's sort of weird um, in that the bigger they are, uh, it's almost like the more athletic they are to some extent. Um, and once again, as was mentioned by Jim, Jerron Curse. This is one of the most frustrating prospects I've had to evaluate in a long time, particularly at, at this position about which I'm sort of protective or proprietary or whatever. Here's a guy that looks like he could be, you know, an all-timer just sort of based on raw physical ability and things like that. And it's clear that, one, he hasn't put in, I guess, the time to learn that he wants his position. And then, two, um, you know, it's just his, you know, there's so much he needs to learn about what to what to see and what not to see and 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 technique and things like that. I just I don't know what he's going to be. Quite frankly, um, you you better have a really good coaching staff if you draft a guy like him. Particularly if you draft him early, you're going to need to teach him a whole bunch of stuff. Um, Lomax is interesting. I I, I haven't dug deep as deeply into him as I as I intend to. I like Trey Elson a great deal. I get the feeling he won't test super well, but I still like him, and I think he thinks the game at a pretty high level. Um, hmm, there's not some super overrated Alabama safety to talk about this year. Um, <laughs> Give it you know, a year. Right, exactly. Give it a year. Um, Sua Cravens, I guess I have to sort of let it go, but I, I, I still have a sort of empty place in my heart. <laughs> 
where Sue Cravens would have been if he, I think if he'd just been left to develop into a strong safety and just, you know, really learn I agree. how to do that. I agree. I, I think it would have been fantastic. And now, now he's, you know, the hybrid. Um, let's see who else. Um, Sue Cravens as a freshman was as impressive looking as a safety as you could ask for. Um, yep. He he was something, and he still is something. But like you said, he's made the transition to another position. But he was something. Well, I think if they let him stay at safety and stay yeah, lean, um, yeah, yeah. Not to interrupt. Was, I love I love Craven. But you're right. He was something with an exclamation point before. Now he's something with a question mark. He was something, and now he's something. You know, it's this a different. Is how, this is how big Sewell was as a freshman. Uh, at USC, you know, we're, we're a bunch of football degenerates, but Colin Cowherd only talks about something if it is going to get, you know, uber-watched or uber-clicked. Uh, on the Colin Cowherd show, um, as a freshman, he mentioned Sewer Cravens. Because Colin Cowherd really is pretty plugged into the USC program out west, and, and I just remember him saying, he was just like, you know, you know how Cowherd is, he's like, hear me out, in three years, Sewer Cravens, safety, He's the next Troy Palomalu bank on it. Cowherd on ESPN, he could have talked about LeBron or whoever. You know, he was big on Sua. And uh, so that just lets you know what kind of pr- prospect and talent he was three years ago. Yep. And, you know, I wish Donovan were here. Donovan knows Sua. And, you know, Sua was a good soldier about everything. Um, and has accepted, you know, sort of his fate or whatever. But uh, it's interesting when you look at a player, and like I said, it happens, you know, where you, you just, whatever, Trim, when you was man crush, fall in love, whatever it is, you, safety's my position. It's my, my thing I really love scouting. And I rarely get to see a player like so crazy, so it hurt me. I'm not even going to lie. I was straight up hurt. You know, and I kept thinking, well, maybe, you know, okay, they've tried the experiment, and now they're going to, you know, let him go back, and they never did, and yeah, no. <laughs> like I said, I mean, he's not, whatever. It's just, I think I have in my mind, and, and this, is, I guess, is what, what, what Shane was referring to, I have in my mind what he would have been. And obviously, you, you know, projecting is part of the business, and you can't help but do it, but I need to let this go. It's going to drive me a little crazy, but I'll just let it go. But, oh, oh God. Oh. I just keep thinking of what kind of absolute, unstoppable killing machine he would have eventually become if he'd just been left to develop a strong safety. I just, okay. Well, actually, now, we have to, uh, now we have to move on to Derwin James and pray that Jimbo doesn't create oh, him into a linebacker. Oh, Please, God, let them leave him alone. And he may be the most impressive be. freshman Ugh. I've ever seen that isn't like a defensive lineman. He, he's, he is impressive looking. Impressive. Somebody was trying to sell me on Jalen Ramsey, and I was like, dude, <laughs> you do have a, a future top five ticket safety, but his name ain't Ramsey. <laughs> Not that Florida State team. I mean, I don't know. I guess people can take Ramsey in the top five if they want to, but, man, that's who I want. I'm just going to try to keep my powder dry for a couple more years away from Derwin <laughs> Oh, my God. Yes. 
that's the last, you're right. The last time I felt this way with Sua and Derwin James. Oh, my God. What doesn't he have? Please don't let him get ruined by something somehow. But, God, oh, you're right. He's stupid impressive. I mean, good Lord. Quickness, long speed, size, ball skills, instincts, playmaking ability. I mean, it's just, oh, my gosh. Woo. Yeah, I get I get the chills. Um, he's he has a chance to be super special. Um, there's some other guys this year. Before I get too wrapped up in that, there are some other guys this year that I think will, um, even if they end up being sort of specialists, like I said, uh, guys who are have a certain role within a defense those guys have value too. I mean, especially if you go to someone who knows how to take advantage of your strength. I mean, it's interesting to me. I mean, when I look at, okay, we also know about the amazing depths of talent that, that the Arizona Cardinals have at safety, and it's unusual. But look at the way that a team like say the Patriots sort of patched together the position. Um, they have a converted corner, which is something that we should mention. Some of the corners, that we're talking about in this class will end up being safeties because the way the game has changed. You don't, you don't have a place for Steve Atwater really anymore, but because <laughs> the game has changed the way that Steve Atwater would be an I mean, safety, right? I guess is what he would be if you were around nowadays, Jim. Uh, because you can't have a guy, you know, David Fulcher, right? You can't have that guy in the middle of your, you know, in deep middle anymore nowadays or even taking deep half nowadays, the way the game is played. But when I think about the ways, once again, certain teams use their safeties, and a lot of teams will invert a guy, have him come near the line of scrimmage or uh, undercut things or, I mean, intellect is super important at a lot of positions, but it's to me it's the number one thing. Football intelligence, to me, is the number one thing in safety. I mean, you can have a super athlete, but I don't want to depress Jim, but for a long time, the Raiders had a lot of super athletes at safety, but they couldn't play dead at the position. Michael Huff, Antonio Gibson, um, I'm sure I'm forgetting something, somebody, but, I mean, they had a bunch of guys who were 4-3-something guys. Connecticut Connecticut safety. Oh, Branch. Yeah, Branch. He could fly, too. One of the most depressing... Sorry, sorry for nothing, but one of the most no, questions would probably have to be Taylor Mays. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, super, super athletes, but they couldn't play the position because they weren't, they didn't have enough football intelligence to go in the right direction, take the right angle, recognize the route concepts, read run pass consistently. Even I mean, it was whew, there was some hard to watch safety play from these great athletes that Val um, Davis had collected at the position for a while. And you still need an athlete. I mean, you still, especially if you're going to play a lot of deep middle, you need to have a guy who's athletic. But I'll take four five five running in the right direction over four three running in the wrong direction every day, all day. So when I, that's where I start with my safeties. Does this person know how to... Well, first of all, you often, especially in your free safety, this is the person that often organizes the back half of your defense. 
And does this person know how to avoid getting in situations where there's a conflict of assignment between or handoff, you know, because a lot of times, especially in zone, your job is to be there for the handoff, right? I mean, if you're not, that's how you give up big plays, is if you are reading one thing or seeing one thing, but the person, the underneath defender, is supposed to be handing the deep coverage off to you is seeing something different. And, you know, that's the thing you see, you know, the whole finger pointing after the big play. <laughs> you see very often, almost always, there's a corner pointing at somebody and shrugging or yelling or gesticulating, and then there's a safety pointing and accusing and shrugging and looking around and whatever. I mean, that, that's, what, that's how that happens. That's why that happens. And that's what like, the tempo is all about. One of the reasons that teams want to run up tempo is because it makes it harder for the defense to get out what it is, who's doing what. But I thought you had that, right? That's the whole husband and wife play, as they sometimes call it. But I look for safeties that are able to fix what gets broken. Hey, um, the linebacker, you know, the will linebacker and the, uh, you know, the, the clouded corner screwed up on who's doing what. Well, there's no one in my, you know, no one in my zone. Let me run down over there and pick up the, clean up the mess. I look for guys that do that and do it consistently, do it, do it often. That's one of the things, you know, Von Bell has mentioned. I've seen him do that on, on a few occasions. Kevin Bayard at Middle Tennessee State, I've seen him do that on a, more than a few occasions. Um, I worry about guys like Kurtz because they're doing the opposite. They're making the mess. You know what I mean? Like, I, I can't have that. I, can't, I don't care how big you are, how fast you are. If you are the creating problems instead of fixing problems of safety, I don't want you. I don't. I don't want you. I'm sorry. I can't can't have it. It's uh, the opposite of what I need from the position. And I understand that it's cool to get excited about how big a guy is or how fast he runs. And those things, I'm going to say those things don't have value because they do, but man, oh, man, if you're going to be wrong at the position where big plays happen, that's where big plays happen. If you make mistakes in your safeties, your free safety, your strong safety, are making mistakes, they're missing things. That's how guys, you know, run loose for long touchdowns, catch big, tech, you know, catch big plays. All those things come out of that. So that's for me. Number one, football intelligence. FBI, right? Football intelligence. I, if I don't have that, I don't. I don't have anything. I don't have a. I don't have a safety at least. You know, maybe you can play linebacker, maybe you can play corner, but you can't play safety if you don't have great football intelligence. You can't play it well. You know, I hear people comparing uh, people to Eric Berry or comparing. I'm sorry, I've looked all through this class very carefully. I cannot find Eric Berry. I am so sorry. I would love to find Eric Berry. I mean, safety's my thing, man. I would be over the moon, but there's no Eric Berry in this class. But there's some interesting guys. There are some good players, some even very good players in this class. For me, and I, don't, I haven't created any new positions like Jim, but I do see certain styles of safety. I'll put it that way. I see guys who are better suited to being, you know, near the line of scrimmage. Some guys are better suited to being sort of in the middle of the field. Some guys are better suited to being deep half or, uh, you know, in quarters or, you know, I mean, there's lots of different ways to play the position. 
but this is a, you have to, once again, we talked about how you have to know what you want, what your works in your system. This is particularly true about this position in this draft. You need to be very specific about what your needs are. And I'll be interested to see what happens with certain teams. Like, you know, obviously we talked about the, um, the Browns. You know, like last week we talked about them bringing in uh, Paul DePodesta. And he's looking for inefficiencies in the way that they do everything from practice schedules to, uh, you know, how they scout to uh, what value they place monetarily on certain things. I mean, he's looking at everything. He's doing it, you know, from my understanding, top to bottom, thorough exegesis of their processes all throughout their, you know, their entire organization. And it'll be interesting to see if they change their drafting style. I mean, obviously, we, you know, hammered this, as Jim pointed out, you know, as as Pete, uh, our friend Pete Smith, a Cleveland Browns fan, uh, desperately wanted them to come away, you know, a couple of years ago when they had the opportunity to get both Khalil Mack and Derek Carr. And then instead what they came away with was, you know, Johnny Manziel and Justin Gilbert. Uh, so a little different, a little different deal. Um, you, so getting back to the safety valve, where I drift off again, uh, what I will say is, as we mentioned a little bit with the corner class, but even more so, I think there's going to be some guys that will be undrafted free agents, guys are going to be coming in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, who are going to end up being long-time starters. But by the same token, two or three of the guys that are in the top 50 are going to be out of the league in four or five years. So when I say it's a weird class, I think a lot of the people that people are excited about are just not going to be what people thought they were going to be. But, but the good news, if you're looking for good news, <laughs> the good news is teams that are really good at drafting, this is how you'll know they're good at drafting, is they're going to get really good players, five, six, seven-year starters, late, late day three, or, or undrafted. Right. And so saying, that... So you're, saying that so you're saying this is going to be kind of like, that that one safety class where they had uh, uh, like Picard Rambo and uh, Fresno State safety and oh Durant Smith you mean yeah and uh, I think even Swearinger was in that class too Swearinger was in that class you are correct some people absolutely yeah. loved him and people said that was like a really I remember people distinctly people in the mainstream media of course were saying that was a really deep safety class. And um, a vast majority of those guys are either now not starting or backups. So, or out of right. league. Right. Or a couple of them out of league, correct. Uh, hmm. I mean, I'll tell you what, what sort of told me how much things have changed. Roy Williams, not the wide receiver, Roy Williams, but safety Roy Williams, not Texas wide receiver, yeah. but Oklahoma safety, went yeah. – he went in a three. He went in a three-year period from being an All-Pro to being a guy that was getting cut. Now, it was a combination of things. He wasn't exactly the most dedicated off-season worker in terms of, you know, keeping in shape. <clears throat> and then the game changed right before his eyes. Teams were going three and four wide, majority of the time, all of a sudden, and man coverage was always the worst part of his game, you know, from Oklahoma on. He was always a really good tackler. And 
very good middle. Once again, you know, as you talk about Philip Edge safety, I mean, he was essentially a an extra linebacker. So you can call your defense a four three defense, but if you're playing, you know, Roy Williams, you're essentially a four four defense, which is really good against the run. <laughs> That's the advantage of being in that is that you're really good against the run. Um, I'm going to say something that's unpopular. I don't think Fuller is going to be a terrible football player, but I think he's going to eventually be moved to safety. And I think he'll be decent at it. I think he does have a pretty good football IQ. I worry a little bit about his his uh, man coverage ability. And I like his tackling. So I think that he might be able to end up uh, at safety one day. I don't I'm not usually a proponent of moving uh, corners to safety, mostly because they tend to move the wrong corners to safety. Just look at size and things like that. But as I said, and I'll repeat, football intelligence is, to me, the most important thing about playing safety. So if you move a, you know, big, stiff corner, but he's not super instinctive or super smart, you're going to have a problem, a bad, bad problem, because instead of having a safety back there, you just have a big, stiff corner pretending to be a safety. And if I'm Peyton Manning or, heck, if I'm Stephen Tannehill, even, I'm taking advantage of that. I'm going to victimize you uh, because that guy isn't a safety. Uh, I want to hit two more positions before we wrap up. The wide, re- the wide receiver class is one that's gained a lot of discussion. Uh, a lot of wide receivers declared early this year. And it was a fairly deep class even before all of the um, underclassmen you know, dump themselves into it. Uh, Lawrence. Yeah, what's up? Wide receivers. Uh, obviously, there's different types of wide receivers, as I've said before. When you are looking at the wide receivers in this class, one, what types do you notice mostly in the class? And then two, the next thing is what do you prize? What are the things that make your eyes light up when you look at wide receivers? Oh, man, the thing I notice most is probably those physical, you know, the big old imposing wide receivers like the Des Bryant, the Demaris Thomas, Calvin Johnson, all that good stuff. And uh, and for me, for a long time, that's probably what I based, you know, all of my stuff off was them until lately how they switched to uh, the smaller receivers. But uh, I think Personally, the biggest thing when it comes to receivers is route running. Um, you know, because you, you can have the biggest, fastest, strongest guy on the field, but if he can't get any separation with his feet, you know, with his movements, then it's really, you know, pointless. So uh, I think for me, route running is probably the best, you know, or the biggest thing for me. And, uh, and, a few of the things that, you know, you can get away from is, is like, like last year, Doyle Green Beckham. He's a big, strong, physical, you know, receiver, but he didn't have the best route running. But a lot of times, if a guy's spending enough time on it, you, you know, you can teach that. And, uh, you know, I, I like a, I like a couple guys, you know, in this draft that are actually the one that stands out the most, probably the biggest. Um, it would probably be Deronia Wilson, and he's uh, going to be a bigger receiver. But besides that, when I was watching him, 
he's got that. I feel like he's got that over the top speed. You know, when the ball's in the air, he hits the second gear, and uh, he's able to go make plays. He was uh, every single time on third down, Dak Prescott's looking his way, and he seems to come up with the ball and make the play. So you know, things I can I can live with is uh, is probably well. One thing I can't live without is drops. You know. Um, that tells a lot about a receiver. But, you know, I guess I was a little wrong on that with Martavis Bryant. When he was coming out, he seemed to drop a few balls, and, and I still really liked him. But, you know, he's proven me wrong. And uh, the thing with him is he'll come up and he'll make a spectacular catch, and, and then the next, the next play he'll have a focus drop. You know, he's not focusing. But, uh, you know, guys that stand out to me when I'm looking is I look at their catch rate, you know, their efficiency, how big of, you know, how, how much of the, the offense they were, you know, how what big a percentage of the offense they were. Um, and that pretty much sums it up. I mean, but the, the biggest thing is just probably separation, you know, having good timing. And uh, you got to have good footwork in order to do that. But because, I mean, if you can't win with your hands and your physical ability off the line of scrimmage, then, then you're going to have to win with your feet. So. But uh, I just want to talk about a few guys besides Durant Wilson. Um, any of you guys had a, had a chance to watch Mike Thomas out of Southern Mississippi? Oh yeah, there we go. Yes. Yeah, I I really really, you know, I think personally, I think that in my rankings he's at five. Um, yes. I have him above Michael Thomas of uh, Ohio State. Yeah. I, I just, I mean, you can put him anywhere. You know what I mean? You can put him in the slot. You can put him on the outside. And he's not going to be, he's not the biggest receiver. I think he's six, six foot, six one, maybe something like that. But yeah, he's, he's six feet, yeah. but maybe a fraction of an inch, but most, right around six feet tall, yeah. Yeah, but it's just amazing. He, uh, man, he's, he's got those in and out. He gets in and out of his cut so smooth. And, uh, he's a home run hitter. I've seen him, um, I can't. I can't think of the numbers. I don't have them right in front of me, but he had a ton of catches over 25 yards this year. A bunch of scores over 25 yards, and uh, one of the, one of his best games. I don't think they have any any tape on it yet, <clears throat> but I watched it live when he played U Dub and he smashed him for 190 yards, two touchdowns, and U Dub was the number one ranked D in Pac-12. You know, they got really good corners up here, and uh. He just completely destroyed him. But, yeah, that's that's one of the guys that I got, you know, a little man crush on when it comes to the draft. And I think uh, think him and Rashard Higgins are going to move up boards. But, you know, I, I personally really like Michael Thomas. So uh, with that, yeah. um, I'm going to hit the road. Sure. Well, before, go before you go, tell people, tell people they can find and follow your work there, Lawrence. Okay, so uh, – Twitter, you can uh, find me at Pacific Scouting, and uh, I don't have the blog up yet, but uh, that's my Twitter handle. And I appreciate you having on me, having me on for this episode, and I'm more than willing to do it next time as well. So uh, I'll be happy to keep in touch. Perfect. Well, I will. I will definitely keep you in mind. Uh, we'll get to quarterbacks, running backs, and linebackers next, and. Uh, D line next time, but yeah, we'll we'll 
we'll finish up with tight ends and wide receivers today. But, yeah, sure, thank, uh, you. thank you very much. Well, first of yeah, all, no it's problem. a joy, a pleasure having you on. Um, you you did great, and I'd love to have you back. All right, sounds good. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep in touch, and uh, yeah. we'll definitely do this again. We will indeed. Uh, that all was right, thank you. Lawrence Cheney of Pacific Scouting, and that's at Pacific Scouting on Twitter, a, a worthy follow. If you aren't already following him, I, I definitely recommend it. Uh, same question to you, Shane. What did you think of the class in terms of the wide receivers then? Uh, what are the guys, who are some of the guys that have, you know, grabbed a little piece of your heart? Yeah, I really like this class uh, a lot. Um, I was just actually looking over uh, my spreadsheet right now while uh, y'all were talking, and, and you can go 15, 20 deep of guys that, uh, um, you know, you can make a case for on day one or two. Um, Laquantre Wells, my top wide receiver. I think he's the only true X receiver uh, at the top of the draft. You might can you know harvest one out of day two or three, but um, I trust him to to translate to the next level. I know stats weren't great at Ole Miss, um, but I think he's going to have crazy hands, just like huge hands. He's a fierce blocker. Um, he can do it all. He wins all three uh, phases of the route at the at the uh, line of scrimmage, at the uh, apex of the route, at the catch point. Uh, so he's just true X. And then, and then you have a lot of guys that I think is somewhat of a subjective order, but from Corey Coleman to the two Michael Thomases to um, Leonte Carew, Sterling Shepard, who I love, my he's my yes. wide receiver too in this class. Um, and then uh, and Caleb uh, Caleb Jones from Arizona, the Texas transfer. I think he's going to have a really good combine, and he's going to be a guy that that people like in the mid rounds once they learn who he is. Um, I also <laughs> think Braxton Miller is going to be a phenomenal NFL player. Um, I, you've, we've seen receivers translate successfully to the NFL when they go at it with an open mind. Randall Cobb knew he was a, a receiver, went right at it with an open mind. Julian Edelman, people forget he was a quarterback at Kent State. Look where he's at. He, he, uh, I think he passed for, for 2,500 yards one season. Yeah. He, some guys are just too good of an athlete with too good of a work ethic to fail. I think Braxton's going to have a phenomenal combine. He's an extremely good athlete. Um, and I'm not I'm not upset about the fact that he's a you know 20, going to be a 24-year-old rookie, 23-year-old rookie, because he's going to be a, you know, a day two pick. So that's fine. Um, I will say this. There's one wide receiver in this class that I see mocked very high who I like, but, again, context is everything. I'm not as high on Josh Dotson as a lot of the public. I don't like the fact he's an older prospect with a nagging injury. Uh, I think he's a good day two wide receiver. If my, t- if my favorite team drafted him on day two, I would love it. But I wouldn't take him in the, the middle of the first round like I see him going a lot of mocks. But, um, but I love this class. And, and I, I think there's a couple things you have to ask for. Um, I have some, some minimum traits that you need to hit, and if you don't hit those traits, you're going to make up with elsewhere. So John Brown, Jamison Crowder, um, Tyler Lockett, they have small hands, but they also are quicker than a hiccup. They win in a short space, and they turn that short space into a, a large separation. So that's their trump card. Um, I need you to win at the line of scrimmage. In the NFL especially, if you can't win, at the line of scrimmage, you're doomed. Um, 
And you can do that in a couple of different ways. You can be Des Bryant or Andre Johnson, or you could, like I say, you can be Tyler Lockett and and uh, John Brown. And but you need to right. to use your trump card at the line of scrimmage. That's that's huge. And then if you you have to to win at at the apex of the route. That that's the stem of the route, um, because you're not always going to be able to be Megatron. Um, if you don't win at the catch point, that's fine as long as you can create separation. So you need to win at the apex of the route, whichever that route is. Um, those are the two biggest things. Um, you know, drop rate would you would love that to be low. You know, I don't want it to be absurd, but I'm not going to not draft Amari Cooper because he drops you know some balls <laughs> that you would not like him to to drop. Um, so win at the apex of the route. Can I can I tweet that? Can I can I quote you and tweet that out that you would you would not pass on Amari Cooper? You can you can put that <laughs> in concrete. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I really I like this receiver class. I do. I think there is studs throughout, and there's a reason they only mock two wide receivers in the first round because I try to do it for accuracy. And right now we just don't know. And, and also, there is so much depth in day two and day three at wide receiver. I just encourage teams. I beg them get your offensive linemen, get your defensive players out of the way, and then get your offensive skill players because. That's where the value is in this class. Yeah, I, I'm an enormous fan of, of Sterling Shepard. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm, you know, two generations deep in scouting that family. And, uh, you know, it's a sad thing that's bothered that's so young, but really good player also. Um, there's a couple of small school guys that I think are going to be terrific pros. And I mentioned some of them before. Chris King at Duquesne. The guy's going to very, very well. Darren Peterson, Liberty, that guy can flat out play. Um, you know, I've had a, a kid on my show, Schloss, um, who I'm not, Schloss is not his actual name. That's his nickname. John Schnars is his actual name, but his nickname, I guess from nine or ten on, was Randy Schloss. <laughs> but uh, sort of a play on Randy Moss, sort of a German white version of Randy Moss. But he's, if you get to actually watch him, um, really good hands, really good body control, decent athlete. Uh, Tyler Duby is another guy that I think is going to find a way to hang around the NFL for a while. Another, I mean, there's, I mean, just I could build just from FCS day two uh, and D two guys a very good NFL wide receiving core. There's a this is a great small school wide receiver draft class. I mean, I could I could literally not have a single SBS guy on my board and still have three for sure NFL starters and a bunch of NFL reserve types on my board without putting a single guy from the FBS on. Uh, Jim, first of all, how how do you view this particular wide receiver class? And then uh, who are some of the guys that you think maybe people are underrating or overrating or, or things like that? And, what do you think makes a good wide receiver? Sure. Um, I think uh, – I, I, I mean, I, I, I do like this class. I think the, the, the only issue I have with it is that a lot of these guys have um, certain flaws to them that are not very glaring at first, but then when you do – step back and look at it, you go, oh, 
and I mean that because, you know, you have guys like Michael Thomas you know, from Ohio State, big receiver, um, powerful, uh, you know, for his size, decently powerful, all that kind of stuff, um, who can run some routes well, um, good at top of the stem deception. His hands are hit or miss, you know. <laughs> what he tries to do, uh, you know, they're they're not terrible, but they're you know they're okay. Uh, and you have Josh Dotson, who is he is hands like that's his brand. Ooh, look at me do this crazy, ridiculous catch in the end zone. Look at me make this ridiculous one-handed catch over this DB. Look at me do this catch over here. And when you watch his routes, it's depending on what he's doing, you know, I mean, there's really 100% routes as much as suggestions. Like, I'm going to run here and throw the ball. You know, like, this is what I'm going to do. And you just throw me the ball and I'm going to catch the ball. And I'm going to oh, so you put it. Yeah. I'm not um, running a route. I'm, I'm exploring an area of the field. Exactly. And you know, get the ball in my vicinity and, you know, I got crazy body control so I can make the catch. So from the standpoint of a guy who has great hands, it's like, okay, but he also doesn't exactly do routes at the exceptional level. Um, same thing with Corey Coleman. I'm a huge fan of Corey Coleman. Corey Coleman is a spirit animal, uh, my friend. Uh, I, he's, oof, he's fun to watch. Uh, Mm-hmm. At the same time, Baylor, they don't really run routes. Like I, they mainly run suggestions, <laughs> like I said, you know. Um, and they kind of just freelance separation. It's like Corey Coleman oftentimes will just, all right, I'm going to punch the DB in the mouth and knock him on his back, and then you throw him the ball. And that's what he does sometimes. Like he like goes up to the DB and punches him in the face and then catches the ball. Um, you know, and that's what he does. And, and I know people kind of talk about, oh, he's lazy, he doesn't block, he doesn't do this. Again, Baylor's offense, if you haven't been watching this offense, for everybody, offensive line, you name it, they they tend to do it, but it's, it's play design. <laughs> I hate to say it that way, but it's play design. Like, they design plays to where they kind of ask their players, hey, you know, we're going to run 700, 800-plus plays, so you don't have to go full go here. Okay, you know, and oftentimes they get criticized because, oh, he's not blocking, or oh, he's not doing this, or oh, he's not setting up uh, his route, which I would say, again, they're not really running routes. So, like, that whole ideology of, you know, setting up your opponent and, you know, making them think that you're running a route when you're really just run block, like, all that, it's mute. It's it's a different (laughs) world there. So... I just think it's that kind of thing. Uh, but, yeah, I think, again, I think this guy says a lot of – or even Laquan Treadwell. I mean, again, Treadwell's a guy I, I I struggle with daily. Like I usually have the Cassandra dress litter because I, I tell people certain things. I get frustrated because I don't know how I feel. Uh, you know, I don't know what else to say. Uh, he's a great athlete, but mm-hmm. – his refinement is it great? I know that we'll say, well, you know, he had to go through recovery and he didn't start until August. And it's like, okay, 
I can kind of get that, but the great wide receivers, they didn't have that excuse. Des Bryant was a beast before he tore his ACL. Or, you know, had that, well, he didn't have an injury, but, you know, missed time because of the stuff. So, um, I, I, I just have hard times with, with people make that excuse of, well, he had the injury and, you know, he's coming back and all that kind of stuff. Especially since, you know, as a metrics guy, you know, I, I went back and did market share data stuff. And I couldn't find a single multiple all-pro player um, other than Reggie Wayne who had his uh, production pattern um, since 1976. And when I think about Reggie Wayne, I kind of also think if he didn't end up with Peyton Manning, but if he ended up with, uh, you know, name whoever the quarterback was back then, that wasn't that great, right? What if he ended up on a terrible team uh, without a great quarterback and without Marvin Harrison to kind of teach him how to do stuff? Um, That's what I worry about with Treadwell. I think he's a great athlete. I think he's a guy that, um, pure athleticism and everything else and traits, you name it, he's like, oh, my gosh, look at this guy. He's going to be amazing. But he isn't developed like a ton of guys that came out. He isn't as developed as Des Bryant coming out. He isn't as developed as, uh, you know, Larry Fitzgerald even, you know, coming out. Um, like there's tons of guys that could, you know, Calvin Johnson even. So he's a guy that has a lot of traits that are interesting, but I – worry about a guy where I kind of worry about what they're what they're going to become long-term considering all these other factors that go into it, including the injury, which you know, I haven't seen his medical stuff. So, But that is going to play a factor in teams. You know, they're going to look at his knee. They're going to poke and prod around, and they're going to, they're going to do all that stuff. So um, he's flawed from that kind of standpoint. He has all the tools, but he hasn't exactly turned them into dominant performances. Um, so there's kind of that. Then you got Sterling, Sterling Shepard, who is my number one wide receiver, and only because like he's a guy that day one is going to be your starting wide receiver, and he's going to be a pretty dang good one, um, whether or not mm-hmm. he's in the slot or not. And I know people make the Randall Cobb comparison, but when I went back and watched Cobb at Kentucky, Sterling Shepard was more powerful than Cobb was a little faster than Cobb as well, and I think Shepard is kind of, just in general, a better prospect than Cobb was coming out of Kentucky. Uh, and I, I I think in terms of what Shepard brings to the table, he's definitely a different type of wide receiver. Um, but I think we've seen with, as many people have mentioned, Antonio Brown and, and uh, you know, Odell Beckham Jr., and I'm not saying he's going to be as good as those guys, but he wins in similar fashion to those guys. And I think in terms of a guy who, who's going to come in day one and become your wide receiver and become a really dang good one, um, he, he he's, he's that guy. He's a guy that not only has this amazing athletic ability, but also has the, uh, you know, the refinement as well, which a lot of guys don't have in this class. Kind of like Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd has good body control, great hands, his athleticism is kind of Nate Burleson-ish, you know, at least to me. Uh, I I see a guy that lacks a lot of upper body strength, and uh, even though he is 
a good route runner, not a great route runner. I, I do think that he lacks certain things from a strength standpoint to really um, thrive as a number one receiver. And true, he's complimentary, but um, I, I think a lot of times you might overvalue that at times, um, where you think, oh, he's going to be a great complimentary guy, and when really he just ends up being like a 700-yard, 800-yard guy, a year kind of guy in a, you know, in a, in a high, heavy pass off. So, um, Will Fuller, I I don't know. Yeah. Will Fuller, I, I, I keep trying to watch tape of him, and uh, I still have issues with the one-trick pony of it all. Um, he's not a guy that makes plays after the catch that much um, when bodies are around him. And I worry about guys like that. It's why I think of A.J. Jenkins when I watch his tape. It's why I think of Ted Ginn Jr. when I watch his tape. Why I think of all these guys is that he's really fast, but can't really do a ton after the catch, strength-wise. Um, and I just, you know, again, I just worry about guys like that. Um, but yeah, see, I mean, you got guys like that. Caleb Jones, I know, is, is a guy that, you know, I mean, we went crazy over DGP. Why aren't people going crazy over Caleb Jones again? I don't know. I mean, when I watch Caleb Jones, I'm like, you know, wow, it's amazing that a guy at DGB had all, got all that hype. And here you have a guy that's similar in terms of stuff that he does to DGB. You know, not a lot of hype, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, Michael Thomas from Southern Miss is a really fun player. Uh, he uh, runs his route hard. Uh, he is um, extremely uh, electric, energetic. When it comes to how he likes to attack cornerbacks, uh, he's not the most powerful guy, but he gets separation with his, you know, with his, uh, mainly with his routes. But he's a guy that's good after the catch as well. Um, I just mean not very powerful in terms of when he goes up against guys that are, uh, you know, kind of standing up and stuff like that. But he's a guy that can get up for the catch well, um, has good hands, uh, really good hands, um, and is a guy that, from a production standpoint, is a little worrisome as well. You know, um, had good production, didn't have great production for at least the conference he played in. So, but I think overall he's a guy that could fit well as a slot receiver and a boundary guy. Is that kind of number two guy? And who knows, he might become something special, man. But you know, we'll see if he can go up into that. Um, but yeah, I mean that. I mean, those are at least the guys that I really like at wide receiver. Uh, there's other guys that are kind of, I view as, as potential starters. I, I have question marks about a lot of stuff. Um, but I, I think that this is a is a very good class of wide receivers depth-wise. But I don't think there's as many star guys as, as, as people kind of uh, might think there are. Um, and when it comes to wide receivers in general, I mean, I – what I look for uh, is, you know, routes. Um, I don't believe the way that offenses have gone in college football, it's not really about how many routes you run as much as how you run your routes. And what I mean by that is I look to see that guys are giving full effort into whatever routes that they actually are doing. 
So if they're doing slant routes, if they're just doing comeback routes, if they're just if they're just doing uh, you know just deep eight you know nine, nine routes whatever they're doing that they're putting full effort into that and trying to do as much as possible because a lot of times you're not going to find guys that run the entire route tree anymore. That's just not going to happen at the college level, especially with up tempo offenses that discourage the entire route tree because we don't have enough time for you to to, to do all them routes. You know we want you to get open fast so. Uh, there's a lot of that. But yeah, I just I look for, um, you know, I look for glide manipulation. Um, first, I, I I like to see a guy who's able to manipulate a cornerback uh, to to basically go into one direction, finally open up the tips, and then and then finally adjust to that. Uh, I look for um, sprint manipulation, which is something that you I've seen a lot with guys like Treadwell, Michael Thomas. Um, I, I like to see them, you know, again, to go as fast as possible, uh, eat up space as fast as possible, and then make your break. Um, because I think a lot of guys get lazy with that. A lot of guys don't um, do that. But that's a big part of manipulation is, is that sprint, you know, going as fast as possible and then stopping and doing it controlled as well, you know, having control over that over that cut. Uh, is really important. And then, uh, you know, good good burst and effort in the break. You know, when when you make the break for the ball, you're giving as much effort into that. A lot of wide receivers, you can tell when they don't give a lot of effort because usually it's a pick six mm-hmm. or an interception. So, uh, you know, you can kind of tell guys that, that don't do that uh, very well uh, in terms of first off. But, yeah, I look for that. Of course, I look for good hands, you know, good ball tracking, body control. Um, can they make contested catches? Can they make catches after contact? All that kind of stuff. I look for, uh, you know, in terms of their releases, I like to at least see an effective inside release, outside release. I don't, you know, I don't want to see. I, I, having a variety of inside, outside releases is great, but at least if you have an effective one, as long as we're looking for, that you need to have. And, uh, you know, good ball handling. You know, I don't want people – I don't want fumbles. <laughs> I don't like fumbles at all. It's a position, especially with um, balance and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, those are kind of the main things I look for for a receiver position. But, yeah, this class I think is, uh, again, good. Uh, I just don't there, – there's a couple guys that possibly have superstar potential, but I think there's so many guys that have – so many things that they do really well and also other aspects where there's flaws that I think people might be a little disappointed in a lot of the guys in this class um, in terms of what they become long-term. But, you know, we'll see. Interesting points from me. Care, as always, Jim, thank you. And so I won't go back and restate some of the things I said about other positions when I've been talking about this. But here's what I will say. And I like Josh Johnson, but you're spot on about the concerns. And what you do is in order to balance out, you know, if you want to start taking chances, you have to pick when and where you take them. But I could see him having a, a pretty long, successful NFL career. Um, I'll ask you something about Taylor Boyd. That seems like a guy that splits the room, Jim. 
what is it about Tyler Boyd do you think makes him so divisive? Because people seem to either love him or hate him. Well, I mean, the people that hate him, they hate him because he isn't a big wide receiver. <laughs> like he's not 220 pounds. He's not built like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, you know, that's why they don't like Tyler Boyd. Uh, and then other people really love Tyler Boyd because um, he is explosive. He is preceptive. He has good body control. He has really good hands. Um, he isn't. He doesn't have elite long speed. But he is somebody that is explosive, in my opinion. You know, he's a guy that, in terms of getting out of his breaks, he, he's explosive. So um, I wouldn't say he's the greatest route runner, but he's good enough for people to look at that and go, ooh, look at this guy. He's so – it's kind of like we're at the point now where um, running around the college football is down. So if a guy's at least decent at route running, but amazing at route running, so it's kind of like that with Boyd. But um, but I, I'm not taking credit away from him. I think in terms of some of his routes, he does he's really good. I just think people don't like him, uh, most likely because of size and lack of strength. And then other people love him because of his body control and his hands and his uh, route running, which is better than than a good chunk of everybody in this class. It's just not necessarily elite route running or great route running. It's just, you know, good, decent route running. I don't know. Is uh, Shane still here? Yeah, guys, I'm here. Oh, yep. what, what, your, what are your thoughts on uh, Tyler Boyd? I think he's a is a really good, uh, not great wide receiver. I think he's a probably a high, uh, high in number two. Um, if I can hind, if I can grade my in hindsight, I shouldn't have had Jarvis Landry as high as I did. Um, Tyler Boyd would probably be graded where I should have graded Jarvis Landry. Um, I think he's a a slot type guy. Uh, like Landry and Jordan Matthews, more of uh, Matthews' size. I, I think he can win on the boundary, but I think he's sort of a chess piece receiver that can play in the slot like like Matthews. Um, really good high end number two. I think Jim hit on some good points. He does. He has some really nice catches. He has some phenomenal just catch point catches where the body control is just outstanding. I think he's going to be a good wide receiver. Um, but I don't know if I would take him in the teens. Um, you know, depending on how this wide receiver class fell and, of course, how he tests. You know, if a team like Minnesota drafted him in, at 23, would I snark at it? No. But I think, you know, if he could fall into round two with a bunch of those other wide receivers and, and, and go at a better value, I think that would be good. Um, he's a good football player. He's just not a top-end round one talent, in my opinion. And that's not a knock on him at all. I think he's going to play a lot of good football. I think, depending on the team he goes to, you know, if if fantasy football is your thing, I think he could have real fantasy value as a rookie. Um, But uh, I I just don't – I don't see that wide receiver one hype that I've I've seen on Twitter from some people. You know, Treadwell and – and Shepard are clearly the top two, I think. And – Corey Coleman's right there at three. I would probably put Boyd in that four or five range. 
Right. Um, you still there, Bill? Yep. Of course. Uh, here's what I will say. I think there's going to be, as I mentioned before, I mean, Antonio Brown, right? Sixth rounder. I mean, there's going to be some guys who are going to be great discoveries throughout this draft. Um, Tajay Sharp is another guy that people are concerned about his hands, uh, you know, baby hands, whatever <laughs> term you want to use. Uh, not that hand size is unimportant. I think, particularly if you're talking about, say, quarterback, hand size certainly can matter. But catching the ball as a wide receiver is rarely about engulfing the ball with your hands. It's about slowing it down, stopping it, controlling it, putting it away. And mm-hmm. you can do you can do all of those things even away from your frame uh, with one hand, um, or if you, but 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 it's not based on hand size. You can do other things with one hand or two hands, as long as you have really good technique and fantastic reflexes. Uh, but for me, when you're looking at receivers, uh, I start with as, as Jim went out route running. Especially with the proliferation of people talk about quarterbacks, you know what the offensive systems that are all over college football do to quarterbacks. I look at offensive line and wide receiver because quarterbacks' fundamentals, with the exception of the footwork, stays pretty much the same. And the reads, I guess, a little bit as well, but stays stayed pretty much the same, even with all these differences you're talking about. You know, yes, they don't have to. You know, the footwork isn't tied to the routes the same way as in a more traditional system. Well, I say traditional now. That is tradition now, but as a previous system. And then, you know, they don't see quite as many different types of defenses, at least in part due to, you know, the combination of breakneck pace that some of these defenses, you know, where they run in terms of number of plays. And the other big thing that, you know, like I said, just spreading them out. But, you know, I, I, I think there's going to be, like I said, a good number, five, six, maybe more guys that are late to undrafted who end up being beyond just starters, like end up being guys that are impressive professionals. So, yeah, I do I like everyone else said, I do like it. I just think that we're going to see three or four guys who go fifth on. You know, it seems to be a really interesting number of of bargain basement type guys. And I will wrap with tight ends. This this won't take long, unfortunately, to some extent. I'll start with you, Jim. One, I'm assuming this has to do with fewer and fewer teams keep tight ends or run tight you know, at the college level, even have tight ends on the roster. Uh, This is an interesting tight end class. I see people even moving guys into tight ends who weren't really tight ends in college to try to, I guess, bolster it. But uh, tell me, what have you noticed about this tight end class, and then who are some of the guys that you have your eye on? Hmm. I mean, it's – I know people keep saying that, you know, everybody says the tight end class sucks until they watch it and stuff like that. I watched right. it. It's still okay. It's not great. And it's okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's – I think there's a lot of physical talent there. Um, you know, Nick uh, Vanette 
from Ohio State Sky, I went back and watched his tape from last year, not this year. Because last year was used a little bit more. Um, yep. and, and he can block a little bit, too. Yeah, he can block a little bit, too. And he's, he's interesting as a sort of physical thing. Tight ends in one position where it is kind of basketball. And I say that because as a metrics guy, all the top tight ends, the multiple all-pro tight ends, like them or hate them or whatever, it's supposed to be the like them, are six foot five to six foot six, two hundred and fifty to two hundred and sixty pound guys. Um, you know, the Tony Gonzalez, the Jason Witten, the Rob Gronkowski, uh, all those guys. And for the most part the split tight end, the the six three, six four, six two ish kind of guys, um, are really successful in many cases or they end up murdering somebody, you know, like they're in this, or they <laughs> Or they're Vernon Davis, and they just get underutilized for reasons that baffle me to this day, why you didn't use them more. Um, or they're Alge Crumpler, who had those solid seasons, right, um, but not much else after, you know, he kind of – he was with the Patriots for a little bit, and I know they they used him a little bit, but um, kind of faded away a little bit. Uh, Delaney Walker, you know, is – kind of one of the better, you know, split tight ends, especially today. Delaney Walker had an incredible season this year, guys, Titans. And um, I know people talk about that Browns tight end, you know, um, but I, I felt like Delaney Walker was a guy who got a little bit more snubbed for, you know, accolades and stuff like that, but that's just me. But um, in, in terms of this class, uh, okay, uh, Hunter Henry, I, I like uh, I think as J2, you're getting good value there with a guy that could be your your uh, um, your, your uh, inline tight end uh, slash pass catching tight end. There's nothing about him, and I've seen tape after tape after tape. The only thing I don't like about Hunter Henry is there's nothing that really sticks out as like special or incredible about him, other than. He's a tight end that looks a lot like a wide receiver. And uh, I don't know. I, I, just, I guess I just have to watch for tape. But I, I, he's good. I, I just didn't really see anything that was amazing from, like, a power standpoint. Or, you know, he isn't like a guy that has this berserker rage. You know, he isn't a guy that has amazing, you know, in terms of his, you know, long speed or anything like that, even though he is relatively fast for a size. Um, he's just a all-around really good tight end um, but and good pass catcher, but nothing really kind of stick out that much. Um, also partial to Jarrell Adams from South Carolina State. Well, South Carolina, excuse me, not South Carolina State. But uh, he's a total project guy, though. Uh, I understand that. Uh, but I do think he's de- – He's shown a lot of stuff after the catch that I think is intriguing at his time when he actually was used that way, uh, which is kind of how he always was used. But, you know, he, he, he wasn't really developed into much other than a kind of a screen pass guy um, or short yardage kind of guy as a wide receiver. Uh, but I think he could be something more, a little bit more interesting. And, yeah, I'm a J.P. Holt sort of truther. Um, I know he isn't that, that athletic. I know that he is kind of, eh, uh, you know, solid blocker, but not great. Um, 
and everything like that. But I think he could be something. Uh, he could be a, a uh, representative starting tight end at the next level. So I, I think it's possible uh, with him. Uh, Stephen uh, Cho- Choi, I believe is how you say it, or Choi, Choi, uh, from Vanderbilt. Uh, he's another tight end that I like. Um, kind of an expected guy. They can block a little bit, do this. Darren Griswold is total projecting him. Um, from Arkansas State, kind of total, totally projecting him in terms of as a pass catcher because they didn't use him a ton as a pass catcher. He's mainly a blocker. But he is a guy that has some intriguing athletic traits. At the position, um, Jake McGee from Florida is kind of – reminds me of, like, Jake Murphy. I, I think I already mentioned that from Utah, a couple other shows in the past. Uh, Bryce Williams is he's okay, you know, he's all right, but I don't know. I'm, I'm getting to the point where there's a lot of guys that are just kind of blockers, uh, for the most part that 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 are going to have roles in the NFL. Like they're going to have roles as blockers, but um, I don't think they're going to be impactful kind of in terms of the passing game a lot. But a lot of people like Tyler Higby. I think Higby's good. I think he limits what he's shown he can do. Um, and he's more, again, like an H-backy guy. My, my biggest issue with H-back guys is not so much that I don't think they're not talented. I think they're, a lot of these guys are really talented H-back guys, split tight and tight. But the NFL has allowed many of those guys to die, to either not use them at all because they're – they turn their nose up to the fact that they're not a full-size inline tight end or they try to turn them into a fullback or they try to turn them into a full-service wide receiver and then they just kind of – or they try to use them and then they're like, why aren't we using the slot receiver? Isn't that a better matchup than this guy? And then they just kind of, you know, they become Gator Hoskins basically, which where is Gator Hoskins? I don't know. He's gone. I don't know where he is anymore. You know, these, these sort of really fun um, split tight end types that kind of just die on the vine for whatever reason because the NFL doesn't know how to use them or doesn't use them the right way or just kind of doesn't know what to do. So, um, but, yeah, I think this class, there's, there's a couple guys. I think the guys I put my money on developing into starters are Henry Adams, Vanette, from Ohio State and, and Holtz and everybody else. Is, to me, at least, it's kind of a, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of stuff that's going to right for those guys. You still there, Bill? Yes, I was trying to. So I'm just trying to make understood what was said there. Um, so essentially, getting back to what, you, what you, I think you said, Jim, there's a few full size guys. Um, you mentioned Vanette has size. I guess Darian Griswold is one of the guys you have on that in that list or that group. Yeah, he has size. Well, I see him as a blocker, you know, the next level one. Maybe okay. he becomes better. I don't know. He played basketball, but 
everybody plays basketball, Bill, but whatever. <laughs> Another good point. <laughs> right. uh, Tim Couch was a great basketball player, as was Sam Bradford. Um, yeah. So, uh, um, and then you mentioned some H back type guys. Uh, well, okay. Even amongst the sort of undersized, the baby tight ends or mini tight ends, whatever. Which one of those guys do you think has the best chance to be something good at the next level? I don't know. I don't really. I you know. I I, I don't know. I I don't see. I mean, Higby, I see more as a backup guy. Uh, uh, tight end by committee, right? I guess. Uh, hmm. the, um, Dan Vitale, same difference. You know, who is kind of a split tight end guy. Um, Kevon Cartwright uh, made highlight real catches, but that's about it. Either he was making crazy catches or he was, you know, in the IR, you know. So, you know, in terms of injury. So, uh, I just I just don't see – I don't know. I mean, I'm not seeing some other people are seeing. I just don't see a lot of split tight ends, 6'3"-ish guys that are going to have a good time, you know. Like there's no Will Ty in this class, you know, and I was a big fan of Will Ty last last year. Um, yep. In fact, I think he was even my top tight end if I remember, uh, or some somewhere like that. Uh, and you know, nobody liked him, <laughs> and of course he ended up in the Giants. Well, but I, I don't think there's a Will <laughs> Ty in this class in terms of uh, like that sort of undersized tight end um, who could end up being a team's top tight end target. Okay. And Shane, uh, this is, you know, obviously not an amazing tight end class, but uh, when you scout tight ends, what, what do you look for? And then who are some of the guys that you think are of note or worthwhile in terms of guys you might draft, even if not early, that you might want to draft? Right, right. Yeah, what, just real quick, what uh, class it could have been, you know, Leggett, uh, Jake Butt, Jordan Leggett, Jake Butt, O.J. Howard, Bucky Hodges, they all go back. They could have been the top four tight ends in this class. Um, but I'll answer the second question first. Just I've got the list pulled up. Uh, okay. I think Hunter Henry is probably the, um, you know, the, the odds-on favorite to go probably somewhere in the late first, early second. Um, yep. He's a guy that I think could have a an Eifert and a, a Kelsey, an Olsen-type impact. Uh, I think that's a good ceiling for him. He's 6'5", 253. I'm sure he's a, I'm sure he's close to being a true six five as well. We'll find out um, at the combine, and then after that, yeah, there is a clear drop off. I like Austin Cooper out of Stanford. I know that there's a slight, maybe a bit of cynicism behind Stanford tight ends, but I like Cooper. He made a lot of big plays. Um, yep, he's got good hands. He's you know Hogan put some balls where he only he could catch it, and he did. Um, right. So I, I like Hooper. He's probably going to be in that that two to three range for me. Vanette from uh, Ohio State, Nick Vanette. He's a nice player. 
Um, but I'll highlight a couple of guys that will probably go in the leg round that, that I like. One is um, – we just started talking about uh, Gator Has- uh, Hoskins, but uh, Kevon oh. Cartwright from Colorado State. You know, he's a an H-back, you know, 6'3", 245. I've always had somewhat of an affinity for him. Um, getting out of Colorado State, maybe getting to the league in the, you know, on day three, I think he could be a nice player. Um, I like Kyle Carter sort of as well. He's, he's sort of built like Devin Kajus, uh out of Stanford, um, who I can get to in a second. But Kyle Carter, he had a good 2013 when, when that team was good, but hasn't had a great, you know, last couple of years. Um, a couple of guys I like in the middle rounds, though, Jake McGee from Florida, I think he could be a nice guy uh, on day three. Um, and then um, uh, David Greenwich from uh, NC State. Production isn't great, um, but I, he's going to be a guy that um, I think a certain sector Twitter will fall, you know, kind of in love with as as the sleeper tied in. Um, but there's a lot of a lot of day three guys. They're, the mid rounds will not feature tight ends. I like Higby. I think I probably like him a little bit more than uh, the Jim does. Um, yep. I, I like him a pretty good bit, especially in this class. You know, maybe if the four that I mentioned come, he gets pushed, come out that he gets pushed way down. But in this class, he may get pushed up. Um, and then the last guy would be Bryce Williams from Eastern Carolina. Um, like him, you know, day two, day three guy probably, early day three guy. But Couple of things. I, I think you have to in, in this NFL. Um, the first thing you have have to find in a tight end is is can they produce in the passing game? Um, yep. Your guys need to be a weapon, and I I've always been a little bit leery of the Vernon Davis and the and the Eric Ebron, um, you know, the slot tight end role. But I get that niche. But you know. The Eiferts and the Gronks and the Kelseys and the Olsons, you know, those guys are, if not they're the top, they're the 1B on their team as far as receiving goes. And you've got to have a guy that can catch. You know, fundamentals is important. It's always going to be important. You want a guy that can block. But if he's not giving you anything in the passing game, why are you drafting? You can you can sign a guy that can block. Um so I want a guy that can that can catch the ball, and, and with that goes along the things I've talked about earlier. Wide receivers, can you win at the line of scrimmage? Can you get off of uh, the line of scrimmage? Because the guys blocking him are a lot stronger than the guys blocking the cornerbacks or the wide receivers on the edge. Excuse me. Uh, can he win at the catch point and at the apex of the route? And, and really, can he? If he cannot create elite space, can he functionally create space? And, what, and by that I mean, can he box out enough space uh, to make the catch? Um, so that's what I'm looking for. I'm not going to waste a pick on a blocking tight end uh, in 2016. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm not. Um, and I think this class has some guys that give you that in theory, um, but you're not going to draft them early. Wait on those guys to fall to you at proper value, and you can have a couple of nice guys in this class. But I think it's one of the weaker positions in this in this uh, 2016 class. I'm not high on it at all, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of bummed out about it because I really like some of the guys who decided to go back. Uh, and I think 2017's class has a chance to be extremely special. If if Jordan Leggett keeps rising the way that he has risen, if Hodges has any help under Fuente, 
at Virginia Tech, and I think they will feature him. Uh, O.J. Howard, Nick Saban apologized to him to the media after the national championship game for how little they used him. I think he'll be heavily featured next year. So I think next year's class could be pretty special. So this year we just kind of have to grit our teeth and bear it and uh, and let those guys fall on day three. Gotcha. Um, I'm with you, Shane, on, on Higby. Got a chance to talk to his position coach. And I think, you know, the surface on him is just barely being scratched. Uh, I was super high on Cartwright at one point. He was on my uh, all-emerging team at one point, and you know, I was really super excited about what I thought he could be and a combination of injuries and, you know, just maybe lack of development to also have me a little more cautious on him. Uh, Kyle Carter is a guy that's trying to look the part. You know, not unlike his former you know, partner in crime, Jesse James, he certainly looks like what you want, but he hasn't been super productive. And, you know, once again, there's still struggles. I understand well, that, but I would... Hold up, because Alan Robinson, if he was on the show, he would say James Franklin's fault. So. <laughs> so everything is James Franklin's fault, Jim? Well, he didn't say it was James Franklin's fault. He just said that you look at when he was, even though his production is different now, Robinson was there, but whatever. Uh, you know, great freshman year, obviously, all Big Ten freshmen. Allen Robinson shows up, steals a lot of the, you know, carries, obviously, because he had that big breakout year. And then the James Franklin years, and then now he's finally here. I don't know. I, I don't know if you guys caught that, but Alan Robinson basically was uh, uh, going after uh, uh, a big. Is he? I think he's part of like Walter Football or something like that. Yeah, some some like that. Uh, and uh, he basically was like trying to say Jesse James is better than than Kyle Carter. But Kyle Carter is better than Jesse James, guys. Um, you know, I understand that Jesse James yeah. has a lot of fanfare and all that kind of stuff, but. Please, I'm sorry. You just can't make that statement. That's kind of what Alan Robinson's getting at, but uh, he kept attacking him over that sort of thing and made some statements about, you know, like it's, you know, it's all. He didn't say James Franklin, but kind of what he, as most people that criticize Penn State, it's how they imply it, you know, like it's all James Franklin's fault, you know. Okay, uh, but I was just saying, there's. Uh, there's some some good players to be had. Probably five to ten guys with a chance to contribute will be had on day three or, and or in undrafted free agency. Now, this is a difficult position. It was, even though we're sort of in a golden age in terms of what tight ends can do offensively, number of catches and touches and and touchdowns are all, you know, way up for the tight end position over what it was historically for that position for essentially ever. Um, I mean, you know, it's in terms of tight ends with over 50 catches, tight ends with six more touchdowns, things like that. We're seeing, you know, a an awakening. Uh, it may not be because you know, that there's great talent flooding the position, though there are some 
really terrifically talented guys playing tight end in the NFL and, and obviously you know a few in college. So I'm interested to see if any of the quote unquote undersized, the mini tight ends or whatever, test so well uh that you know somebody's willing to bite a little earlier than you might expect. And then yeah, the other thing obviously is um how many of these guys are basically just giant wide receivers. Uh which is what a good number of them are. They're just large wide receivers, large, slower wide, you know, wide receivers who line up the end of the line of scrimmage and then block some. But I think there'll be a couple of guys that'll be had, uh, particularly by teams that really know how to evaluate tight ends. Uh, so we did, yeah, watch receivers, they do more tight end. Um, good. Oh, we'll talk a little bit of the All-Star games. Uh, any surprises to you, Shane, now that uh, the All-Star invitations have been sent out and either rejected or accepted uh, for, well, obviously, in the case of East-West running FLPA game, they, you know, they've already <laughs> gone through, a, you know, all their preparation with the game itself. Um, and obviously, in case of the Senior Bowl, you know, guys have arrived or are arriving uh, in town to prep for uh, the actual practices. But any any sort of surprising, you know, whether it be snubs or whatever, or inclusions uh, from the bowl games, the uh, All-Star games, I mean. Yeah, I, I don't know if Justin Simmons has been called up to the Senior Bowl. I, I think I've heard he's going to be or... He, he will be. Um, I don't know if there's any snubs, you know, for the NFLPA Bowl and the, and the Shrine game, um, just because the top guys are so clearly obvious and these bowls are, are games are sort of mid-tier. Um, I, I think there's not snubs at those games. There's just, you know, the, the fear that they'll get called up and skip those games for the people that put those on. But uh, as far as Senior Bowl goes, I know Taylor Decker and uh, Shalit Calhoun backed out. I was disappointed to hear that, and I haven't followed up today to see the reason why. Um, I'm hoping it was injury and it was legitimate injury because two things: Warren Decker, I think, could be the second tight end, ta- or excuse me, tackle taken in this class. I think he's got a nasty streak, um, more technically sound than Taylor Lewan was, but similar in the fact that he will play two and through the whistle. Um, I like Decker a good bit, and I think he not only improved from 14 to 15, but he improved throughout 15. I hate to see him back out. Shalit Calhoun, I think, is the one of the more underappreciated defensive linemen, maybe even players, the past several years. I know what he isn't, and you know, it's on Twitter we we want black and white. We want everybody's great or they suck, and. Right. Shalit Calhoun is a damn good football player who's made a lot of good plays and who is fundamentally sound. I don't care that he's not 30, you know, 13, 15 sacks a year guy. Um, I think he plays the run effectively. I think he he's an efficient pass rusher. And I, I'm saying a lot to say him backing out, you know, I think this week could have really shown, hey, I can do this against the quote-unquote elite senior-level players on the offensive line. I think he's worthy of a first-round pick because, you know, whether you whether you believe, you know, our friend uh, Justice Mosqueda's sports players uh, theory or not, 
there's a lot of evidence to suggest that there is a drop-off dramatically after first-round edge players, and you need to get him while you can. I think he should be a first-round edge player. Um, and then the third, it would be his teammate Connor Cook. There's not been a quarterback. You know, I was I was big on McCarron um, for I guess maybe for a little bit right and a lot of bit wrong, but there's not been a quarterback in in the three years that that I've been doing this that is more of an enigma than than Cook uh, because I I think he has Sunday throws throughout, but he's got low production in the completion percentage. His stats are good. His box store. Box score scouting is good. His yards per average, his adjusted yards per average, his uh, touchdowns to interceptions is fine. He's made a lot of big plays, but there is that perception that he's inefficient, and there is that perception that he is somewhat of a cutler type personality. And you know, you want the Peyton at the and the and the Brady at the, the quarterback position. But I'm afraid that he's going to go from being a first round pick to a second round pick, and maybe even a third round pick. If he gets that McCarron stereotype, if I am a firm believer, if McCarron went to the Senior Bowl and checked all the proverbial boxes, it'd have been a much higher pick. Um, these things matter to scouts. It's not so indifferent than high school clicks. They want you to come and go through the process. And if you hurt their feelings, they, uh, you know, they 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 give you a demerit for it, for lack of a better term. I wish Cook would have went and competed. Uh, if he really is hurt, that's fine. But I wish he would went to the to Mobile as an injury guy, did all the rounds, and and kind of alleviated some of these stereotypes about him. Because I've been looking at who he resembles, and there's, I think there's some uh, Matt Ryan and some and some Carson Palmer ish traits to him. I think he could be that kind of player. You know, Palmer has become a great player now, but he struggled a little bit there for a while. Not really struggled, but he was a high variance quarterback, I, I guess you could say. Um, so I wish Cook would have went. That was that was a long answer to a short question. I apologize, it's getting late. But I wish Cook would have went because I think he could have been a top two or three quarterback taken. He still might be, but I think he could have solidified it had he went to Mobile. Got it. Um, the NLPA game, and I, I have had the great fortune of being around that game in terms of the selection process talked to some of the people involved during the time it was put together and then I had the pleasure of uh, not just seeing in you know on television but getting a chance to witness in person the person the double the um like I said the coaching, you know, the development and the number, you know, the number of players who gather around, you know, name the name of the coach. Uh though I'm not a huge fan of certain things about spread offense is everybody looking over. I have noticed how much a lot of these teams uh, focus and focus correctly on their, you know, power back or whatever to want to use uh, to see how he's stacked up. And there there's some really interesting quarterbacks. I think Josh Woodrum has a chance to be a long-term startup. I think Matt Johnson at East West Shrine, the guy that might even be a starter one day. Um, you know, the Steel Show did uh, Steel of uh, the uh, uh, Shrine game, what I was trying to get out. 
the Shrine game, I think, has done a particularly good job. And obviously, you know, the Senior Bowl, Senior Bowl, they don't have so much recruit or chase or whatever. Everybody, you know, shows up, shows up, you know, wanting. You have to be a guy that goes early to, you know, the most successful, you know, of all the possible chance to do that. So same question to you, Jim. Um, looking at the guys who've invited and even some guys who, just, who declined, also game invitations, uh, what were some of the games that really struck you and then, you know, sort of who do you think sort of prevail or, or who do you think have a big game, by the way, put it and then finish up with uh, some scouting. Oh. Um, I mean, as far as the Senior Bowl goes, I think the Senior Bowl is going to be uh, a big uh, deal for a lot of prospects. Um, what I think gets ignored a lot is people don't realize how big of an impact the Senior Bowl can have on, on players. It's just because everybody's there. Uh, you know, it's it's the type of thing where Bill Belichick loses to the Denver Broncos, gets on an airplane, and is at the Senior Bowl the next day. Like, it's that big of a of event. Um, and, you know, coaches, personnel, uh, even Mike Rabel, you know, apparently might be the defensive coordinator. Like, I remember seeing Mike Rabel there. I talking about Mike Rabel. Like, it's that type of experience, you know. You're watching the defensive line drills, and then Marvin Lewis kind of walks by, and then and then you see Mike Tomlin by, and you're like, holy shit, Mike Tomlin and Marvin Lewis are – are near each other. It's weird, but yeah, that that happens a lot. It's 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 a, it's it's a struggle to really scout a ton there, really, because you're kind of like people watching at the same time. You know, at least to me, that 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 was my biggest issue. I was like watching guys, and all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, it's Doug Williams, and you're like, why am I acting this way around Doug Williams? That you're like, holy shit, it's Doug Williams. You know, it's like that sort of thing. Um, so, but I think it has a big impact in terms of how guys can be about personnel guys. Guys remember your name, you know, if you do well at the senior bowl. So, I think this, this overall, the whole roster, which I'm, I'm not going to get into the whole roster, but the whole roster this year is pretty solid. And I think that there's going to be some first-rounders at this. Even though every year people go, oh, oh, don't call Zach Martin a first-rounder. Don't call Aaron Donald a first-rounder. Well, yeah, eventually this guy's going to be first rounders. They do really well at the Super Bowl. Uh, there's going to be a good chunk that are going to be first rounders. And of course, a good chunk that are going to get drafted um, at, later on in the draft as well. If they, if they attend the Super Bowl, they do well. Um, the guys that didn't show up, I mean, Josh Dawson didn't sh- it, it, he backs out because of a wrist injury. Um, I I would have liked for him to go, but then I thought to myself, if he had went, he would have had a wrist injury. So he would have been healthy walking around. Walking around and people look at him going, huh, you can't run routes with just one bad wrist, huh? Like, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I, I guess might have been the sort of like, oh, you, you ain't tough enough kind of stuff. So it's kind of like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um if he really wasn't healthy with the wrist thing, I kind of get it. Uh, if he thinks he's going to be a first-rounder and his agent told him not to go, I think that's kind of dumb, though, because, you know, they find out eventually if you can compete or not. Um, and just because you missed the senior bowl isn't really going to change. Just cause it, it, 
You'd rather them find out early than late is all I'll say. <laughs> you know, you don't want to pull a Teddy Bridgewater and, you know, and end up doing a lot of stuff late that people kind of overthink um, in terms of the negatives. So, um, yeah, Connor Cook should have should have been there. Um, and I do agree with Shane that he needs to go there to, to be the ambassador to kind of prove to people and media and whatever, even if he is a sociopath, at least – prove to at least fake it, at least fake like you're a good guy and you're a leader and you're all the other sort of stuff um, and that you have a good personality for the position. And I think it's a missed opportunity. Uh, I think he's not going to get drafted as high as he would because of it, because of this. And I think there might be a quarterback at the senior bowl who gets the thunder and might get drafted over him. You know, maybe not first round, but definitely, you know, second round day two area. Um, there could be a quarterback goes over him because they went to the senior bowl. So um, I think that's going to be a big deal because he didn't show up. Um, and as far as Lee Calhoun, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not the big – I mean, I like Lee Calhoun. It's sort of a rotational guy at the next level. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I just kind of differed as far as first round – Sort of stuff. I always differed with him about that, um, but I do see he's a good player. It's kind of a shame he isn't going as well because uh, I think he's a guy that's very deserving of going to that event. Um, but other than that, that's really about it. Um, I do hope Michael Jordan, you know, from the Shrine Game, gets the invite, and a few other cornerbacks uh, like Kalen Reed or Frankie Williams or a couple other guys get a chance to go there because I think a lot of, I don't know, I think the senior bowl kind of, kind of got some of the cornerbacks wrong, but um, but I, I do think that if those guys got invites late, um, it might improve how the rosters are. Um, but, yeah, I think it's going to be a good senior bowl, like I said, and I think there's going to be a lot of talent. And, um, I'll be excited to see how uh, it all turns out. Uh, Bill? Uh, you still there, Bill? Yes. Yes, I am. Yes. Yes, I am. And I'll talk a little bit about East-West. Um, the oldest continuous, I think, started in 1912. Uh, they at one point were the big dog with the others sort of trying to measure up and then the rise of the Bowl, even though they didn't settle in in terms of playing and playing playoff football uh, those are all new things um, not they've never had it but it's not a, a commercially viable thing for the area oh ask you each to pick one guy. So I'll finish off with you, Shane. Pick one guy that was going to go middle to late round, but that you think, even if it's not immediate, it's going to have a really, really great career, and then pick one guy who might go early that you think might struggle. So I don't, it's so early with these guys, um, I don't know exactly how the NFL views him yet. We'll hear about that. But one guy that I I think will go lower 
than you should that I think is going to be really good is uh, Parker Ehringer from Cincinnati. Um, I think he's a guy that can, depending on where he goes, as a rookie, he could be that sixth offensive lineman that's a rotational guy that can play several positions. I think he could play tackle if he needed to, but he's going to be a guard. I've heard he's had a great week, and he's a guy that he may go late day three or, you know, I would look at taking him early day three. Uh, He may even sneak into my late third-round grades. Um, I like him. So he's a guy that will probably go underdrafted, in my opinion. Um, And now you you want me to identify somebody who will probably be overdrafted from the Shrine? Yeah, somebody, exactly. Somebody who might struggle. I mean, who knows? Uh, He might eventually be good. But right. somebody who you think will struggle at least early in his career, who might go gotcha. okay. early. Let me uh, roll through. I'll say this: Jose Sharp from Massachusetts um, would be the first wide receiver, I think, in four years at least. That's all the data I've been able to find. That w- that was a combine player that had smaller than eight inch hands. Um, he he played in Massachusetts. So the weather's not great up there sometimes. He caught a lot of balls, and I've been a huge fan of his. But I also am adopting more of a metrical approach to how I evaluate it. And his hands are sub eight inches, and that's I don't really know how I I don't know. Maybe I'm making too big of a deal about hand size, but. I'll say this, if you can catch a football, you can catch a football, but he's going to need to have a good combine. And so I think maybe he he could get overdrafted. Um, if that's a poor answer, I'll say Nate Sudfeld, the quarterback from Indiana. I think he'll probably yeah. be overdrafted. Okay. Just because of the desperation regarding 6'5", right. guys with... Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, let's let's be honest, he's Six six two fifty, white pro style quarterback. People are going to comp him to a Bruce Arians quarterback, but I don't mm-hmm. think he's that. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I think he'll be overdrafted because he looks it. Uh, yeah, it's not a, uh, yeah. nothing on Nate. I have him as a draftable quarterback. I just think he'll be sure. overdrafted. Gotcha. Okay, same question. Same uh, question for you, Jim. Uh, you can name a guy, and if you maybe a couple, if you have a couple, you identify. But at least name a guy that. Uh, probably going to go late, you know, or later, you know, day three most likely, who you think is going to have an impact, you know, above the level that might be expected based on where he was drafted and, you know, the reverse, the guy who might go early, you know, day one perhaps or, you know, early day two, but you think might struggle to really produce at the next level. Right. Um I agree on uh, on uh, Einger from Cincinnati. Einger, yeah, yes. And well, I mean, I was reading the school website said Einger, but yeah, uh, Parker, Captain Cincinnati. Uh, I like him at tackle though. Um, he's a guy who can play tackle. He's played guard. That kind of gives you some versatility there. But um, you know, I was a big fan of him this year. Really good tech. Uh, really decent power, um, and I, I think he's going to be, a, a, in this class of tackles, I think 
uh, he could easily be, at least to me, he's in the top five. Um, as a guard, you know, he's played the position. He's, he definitely has done well there. So it would kind of be the top five as well. But I, I think overall he's a top five offensive line. Um, and I think if he goes late, day three, day two, um, then teams are going to make a mistake, I guess, because I think he's going to outperform that um, in a big way. Um, Javon Hargrave from South Carolina State. Uh, he's got, I know he's got a lot of hype. Uh, and this guy I've known for a while. I remember watching him as a sophomore. Yeah, um, yeah, we've been talking about him since his sophomore season down at South Carolina sophomore State. Sophomore season at South Carolina State, you know, and uh, they had the Jerry Porter clone, you know, and all those other guys. And, uh, um, you know, Hargrave is fun, man. Uh, and I think because uh, of what he did down there at the Shrine game, he, 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 I'll say this much, he's one of those high school picks he's going to go because um, I know he might be a guy that gets creeped up in the day two area because, People do that a lot because they hear a lot of good things about small school guys, but ultimately they're Joe Pesci guys. They're going to get knocked down the board because they're small school guys. Uh, they're going to find whatever reason to knock them down, and I think he's a guy that teams are going to knock down to sort of later rounds. And he's going to prove a lot of people wrong, I believe. And um, I think he's a guy that I hope gets the Senior Bowl. I'm, I'm not sure if he got a Senior Bowl in, but he's a guy I hope gets a chance for the Senior Bowl. Don't turn into that curve, people. Don't let that career happen again. <laughs> so, that's all I really say. Uh, career's a little bit different than that Kerr in terms of, yeah, is more of a free tech, but yeah. Um, other guys. Victor Ochi, I think Stony Brook did a lot of Ooh, stuff where he's yes. probably going to be lower. He's going to end up, again, I think he's going to be kind of a D3 guy who ends up becoming some team's um, you know, really good pass rusher for a team. Uh, I, I really totally blank. I totally blanked on Ochi, but I agree, Jim. I, I didn't know a thing about him until this week, but been doing some studying <laughs> from everything I'm hearing. And um, that guy, from things I'm seeing and things I'm reading, he seems like the type of guy that could have a good combine and kind of like shoot up boards a little bit. So, yeah, if you need a 3-4 outside linebacker, you could probably do worse than that guy. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh Another guy is kind of a personal favorite of mine. I don't know. But Romeo Aquara from Notre Dame. I know his tape is iffy in times and there's this or that. But this is a really young guy who's almost six foot five, two hundred and sixty six pounds. He's gonna test like crazy and was able to do a lot of interesting things in Notre Dame. He may end up just being, eh, but I think there's a good chance he could pull a Jeremiah Tauchu and become something interesting, um, especially how young he is and how he's just starting to learn a lot of stuff. So keep an eye out for that guy. Uh, I think he might be a guy that might even shoot up higher. He might, he might be over, uh, I'll say that much, he might be overdrafted at some point maybe, um, depending on how the combine goes. But um, he's a guy that, that – didn't have a terrible week at try uh, and uh, could, you know, get some love that way. Uh, Vernon Adams, I can't I can't get, get rid of you. I can't quit you, Vernon Adams. I love Vernon Adams so much. 
Um, he, I was such a big fan. They do a of lot of Washington. Um, yeah, big fan of him, Eastern Washington, and I, I, I still seems gonna hate him, you know, because how short he is and stuff like that. And I get that, but I think he he could have a chance to go to a West Coast team, um, and develop there and could you know do something interesting. As far as Ty Sharp goes, um, there is a guy who has as small hands as him. His name is Harry Douglas. Um, really? I did not know that. Yeah. uh, Hand size. This is what I'll say about hand size. Because I know a lot of people, uh, as everybody was kind of freaking out over it. and, 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 you know, it's funny. They collect all this data, Bill. And yet, anytime they get to this point where somebody has small hand size, they go, "What does this mean? What does this mean?" <laughs> it's like, "Well, I, th- I thought you collected all that data, right?" But whatever. Uh, yeah, um, Harry Douglas had, you know, seven and three fourths inch hands. Hand size in general, the wide receiver position, is really more descriptive than predictive. Uh, same thing with arm length. It depends on how a guy wins uh, and where he wins and that sort of stuff. So, like, if, if, if a guy is a jump ball wide receiver, right, like he wins both with mostly contested catches and stuff like that, you want him to have long arms. You want him to have, you know, decently sized hands. But even then, Brandon Marshall was a guy that ha- had, you know, eight and seven-eighths-inch hands, you know, uh, so I, I wouldn't make the biggest of deal about hand size, 100%. Of course, Harry Douglas was never an amazing wide receiver, but I don't think people, um, you know, I, I don't think it was his hand size that made him a bad wide receiver. I have other issues with Ty Sharp in terms of other things like consistency with his routes and, you know, stuff like that. But I do think that he's someone that I I think people might overanalyze because of because of hand size. If if you think that he could be a team's number three wide receiver and might it might become a complimentary guy like a Harry Douglas, then I wouldn't care about hand size. If you think he's going to be like a superstar guy, yeah, there's some precedence for that. But like I said, I think hand size is a little bit more descriptive than predictive for a lot of guys. Like, there's no real huge bright line to it. It's kind of like with arm length. And I know I've said this a lot, but arm length, a lot of times with offensive line position, gets overanalyzed considering that the big drop-off happens at the 15 percentile. So, like, 85% of all the offensive linemen is where most of the good arm length is, which is ridiculous if you think about it that way. Because that's a huge – that's like all the offensive linemen almost where arm length isn't that big of a deal, uh, and yet people really don't know where that threshold is. You know, So even guys that have below average arm length end up being really good players. You know, like Joe Thomas's guy had below average arm length. You know, and he's like, the, at least with some people, the best offensive lineman in the NFL. But all I would say with arm length is – or hand size especially with, with wide receivers, it's not as – I wouldn't make as big of a deal out of it as some people have. You know, I would just say that if you thought Ty Sharp was like a top five wide receiver, I think there's stuff on tape that would would sway you other than hand size. 
and I don't think his hand size really affected a lot of the stuff that made him a little bit imperfect. But, uh, but anyway, so yeah, that's that's Tash Sharp. Um, yes, I mentioned those guys, and I yeah, 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 yeah. Allison. I'm, I I really like Illinois. Same. He's fun. Yep. He should get. I've been talking him up. He should go uh, to Mobile. He should get called up to replace uh, Dotson or whoever uh, if they need a replacement. Yep. Um, Luther Matty is a fun player. Hey, uh, just real quick, I know yeah. I know it's getting uh, closing time, but um, you know I, I spoke about Sudfeld, draftable yes. guy, not a franchise guy. Um, you know, there's a couple of, of quarterbacks. Brandon Dowdy. History says yeah. if you're a 24 year old rookie, you're not you're not going to be a you're not going to be a good player. You can be 24 when you after you get drafted, but if you get drafted and you're 24, history shows that you don't translate. And plus, I think he has enough on tape. He turned out smaller than I thought he was going to be. I don't really trust that those those Petrino system quarterbacks at this point. But a guy <laughs> that I do like that I'm interested in as a late round guy who is an ideal stopgap guy, a, uh, a Matt, Matt Hasselback at the last part of his career. I like Jake Rudolph, and I think round six or seven is a really good spot for him. Uh, is there a quarterback that y'all, y'all don't have to agree with me? You, you say anybody want. Is there a quarterback at the Shrine game that you think will stick better than the rest of the quarterbacks at the Shrine game? I'll, I'll, I'll start with the guy who has impressed me the most long before the Shrine game, and then he's he's acquitted himself well at the Shrine game with Matt Johnson. And if this guy was six foot five, you'd be you'd be getting you know buzz about going in the first two rounds, but he's not six five. Nope. And he has a weird uh, throwing motion too. So odd throwing yeah. motion. But I mean, men's look. And I and I know you're gonna agree, Bill. I, I know I've said this on your show with the show the few times I've been on this year. Someone's gonna to have to explain to me next October, November, how Johnny Manziel went twenty one overall and Baker Mayfield isn't a, a prospect. <laughs> well <sighs> Sterling Shepherd. I'll take Sterling Shepherd for nine hundred. <laughs> <laughs> well you can say that about Manziel with Mike Williams and and that's mm-hmm. true, I guess. And you should. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, and what was the little slot receiver that had to retire because of the concussions that he had? Um, Ryan. Oh, yeah. um, yes, um, Sw- yeah. Sw- Swopes. Ryan Swopes. Right, yeah, Ryan Swopes. Swopes. Yeah. Yeah, they they were good. But uh, no, I just was wondering because you know quarterback is going to be the position that even if you're not good, you're going to get talked about more than a mid tier you know wide receiver. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, I like Rudolph. To piggyback off Jim, he has some really good stats as far as efficiency with passing, as far as turnovers and interceptions, but also career games played and career games won. I think he's second in both categories um, in this class. So I know QB wins is an official stat, but I think in college it's a good barometer to see how successful and the longevity of that prospect. You know, it was – you have a good career. Um, 
Vernon Adams has won and played in a lot of football games, so he stacks up really well. The only thing that hurts him is hand size, too. I think he came in at eight and three-fourths. Uh, yep. You would like to see him hit that nine-inch or nine-point um, one-five-inch um, yeah. hand size. But uh, but you're not. But that's kind of nitpicking because I'm not going to draft Vernon Adams high anyway. So if you're looking for a late-round guy, you know, like Jim said, you know, there's a lot to like about him. I trust Jeff Risen a good a great deal, and he said that as far as just ball coming out of the of the hand and the arm talent. Vernon Adams throws the cleanest ball at the Shrine game, so maybe he is a late round guy. Yeah. Um, well, you know, yeah, I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you talk a little bit about Vernon Adams, and then we'll touch on maybe one or two more things, and we'll close it out. But yeah, go ahead, talk about Vernon. But he was the. I mean, he was the John Manziel the FCS man. Like, <laughs> it, it. He was. Uh, he he was mm-hmm. like one of the funnest quarterbacks you would ever imagine watching. Um, my two favorite quarterbacks at that time, uh, which was a couple of years ago, was Jameis Winston and it was Vernon Adams, you know, just purely watching them play. And uh, I think he's a guy that he's going to get short treatment because he's short and all that kind of stuff. And at Oregon, what I hated to watch what happened in Oregon um, was just at the beginning of the year, he got thrown into a new offense and had to learn it and had, you know, had to do all this. Like, it was just a mess, man. It was just a big mess. Finally, towards the end of the season, got hold of everything, finally figured out stuff, and then started playing better, started developing better chemistry, started making the throws he needed to make. Um, and it was a shame because they could have beat Michigan State, man. <laughs> If, if if they were playing at the level they were at the end of the year, of course they weren't um, at the beginning of the year, you know. So um, I think he's a guy, again, in a West Coast system. Um, he could become a backup or he could even become the starter, in my opinion. Um, if I mean, we, we, we had a season where we started, you know, Matt Castle and, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. What, why, why not start running out of a situation like that? If you absolutely have to, um, he's a guy that. Uh, I mean, Vernon Adams that. over Matt Castle any day. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I just, I just really like Vernon Adams. He's a fun, fun player to watch, um, especially when he really understands the offense and is really confident. He just lets it, you know, lets it loose. You know, and that was the one thing he didn't get a chance to do Oregon until the end of the season. Because uh, he felt like he, just a little too nervous, a little too uncomfortable at the beginning of the year. Um, he was Marcus Mariota, but he he's not. That's what Oregon was expecting him to be. You know, they thought they had everything in place, but no. Yeah, well, he's, he's not Mariota. Oh. <laughs> um, but anyways, um, as far as that's all goes, I don't get. I don't understand Sudfeld. Bill's had Sudfeld on his uh, not underappreciated. Well, is he any underappreciated? He, made, he was previously on the All Emerging. I had him on All Emerging 2014, oh. right. and I I toyed with having him on the All Underappreciated, but then he started so like with Paxton Lynch. 
the appreciation level kind of pushed him off because it kept going up. <laughs> Bill, is Paxton still your uh, top quarterback in this class? He was never my top quarterback. Uh, oh, he was. Sorry. It's just that I was early on him, and so people thought I was just one of the first people to start talking about him, and so people sort of assumed he was my number one quarterback. Um, uh, I always had him. I always had him in like two three, but I had him two three going into the season. You know what I mean? So people. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> as opposed to the people who didn't know that he was and then overreacted and pushed him really high. Um, Wax I mean, is darling. I wouldn't go sort darling. Of... I wouldn't go darling on Wentz. I like Wentz. He's um, everybody's draft darling, supposedly. I don't know if he's everybody's darling. Here's what I will say about Wentz. I still have, I've always had golf. I've been consistent. I've had golf number one throughout. Um, I'm not one of those people who've gone all nuts on as much as I loved Wentz, I never put him number one. As much as I like, um, and as much as I like uh, Paxton, I never put him number one. It's a, well, golf is always been my number one, and then it's been between Wentz and Paxton Lynch for the number two, three. So they've been sort of battling back and forth. Okay, let me rephrase um, this. Which, if you were to put him talent-wise, which order would you put him in? I think ooh. Paxton has the most talent. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the guy who has the best chance to one day be something special, that might be Lynch over everybody, but he's a project. Um, and so I can't have a project in my world. I can't take a project in the top 10 or top 15 even. Now, in the second half of the first, especially from a team that can afford to sit, you know, sit him, yeah. I'll take Paxton Lynch all day long if I'm uh, – what's a team that I could have really afford to sit? Um, that's good in the second half of the draft. It might still take a quarterback. If I'm New Orleans, even. Bengals. Or Bengals. <laughs> well, no, I don't know about the – that's so mean. But, um, if I, Hopefully but if the I'm Dolphins do. Yeah, I don't think the Dolphins are quite – I know. But if I'm New Orleans, right? And I know that I'm going to get another couple of years probably out of Breeze. And, but I know that, you know, the, the, the show is – the curtain's going to be rung down on the show in, sometime in the next few years, and I need to, you know, start preparing for that. I mean, they're, they're bad teams. They probably can't afford to – it's sort of a luxury pick, I guess, for them. But, but if I am New Orleans, I'm considering a guy like Lynch, especially if the first two quarterbacks go really quickly. I'd certainly think long and hard on it. And if I'm... Uh... But yeah, ooh, here's a situation. Yeah. Maybe the Chargers yeah. pick up Carson Wentz. The Chargers. Yeah. You know, yeah, they could. You, you, you have yeah. a guy in place with Philip Rivers, you at least got maybe two, three years out of him. Yeah, it's funny because people, 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 people talk about... What's funny, people talk about funky throwing motion, and I was, <laughs> argue, I was arguing you know, on the internet back on the old Gary Horton War Room site about Philip Rivers. People were jumping all over Rivers. You know, he makes himself short. You know, he's 6'5", but he's really 6'1", because of the throwing motion, blah, blah, blah. But um, <laughs> that's what people said. Somebody wrote And that. he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of this of the past 10 years. That's what I'm saying. I mean, when people – if a person's throwing motion doesn't rob them of power, accuracy, or release time, I'm not going to freak out about how it looks because, you know, 
you don't get special, there's no style points. There's no special points for your motion being pretty. It's nice when a guy's motion is pretty. You know, hey, you know, Kenny Griffey, right? The Maiden Hall of Fame, beautiful, beautiful hitting motion. But Stan Musial, also one of the greats of all time, 331, lifetime batting average, 475 home runs, despite the fact he was three and a half years in military service, right? Ugly, hideous, hideous swing. But my God, did he make contact with the ball constantly? That's what I care about. Kelly Wilson's like, look at my throwing motion. You see how bad it is? Look at Philip Rivers. Yeah, oh. so, so a lot of times we'll whine about someone's throwing motion, and I always think back of think back to guys like Rivers and how good he was despite his less than beautiful throwing motion. But, um, but yeah, so... That's where I am on those guys. Um, so yeah, let's 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 knock out a couple of more, I guess, Shrine Game guys that people are interested in, and then we'll close it out. Uh, are there any guys for you, Isaiah, that are at the Shrine Game that are of particular interest to you? I'm not watching. I got work. <laughs> I'll read no, I mean, eventually. Without, that wasn't the question. I'm talking about other. Who are the players that are of interest to you? Oh, the players. Yes. I don't know. I haven't been paying attention. Who's even in it? Okay, then we'll move on. Um, <laughs> any other guys for any other guys for you, Jeff? Uh, I think we've got to mention all of them. Um, uh, for the most part. Okay. And um, I guess the last, but certainly not least, anybody that you haven't already mentioned, uh, Shane, for either NFLPA, I'll go for that as well. NFLPA or Shrine that are of interest to you. Yeah, I'll be 30 seconds total, but Devin Kajust uh, isn't really a wide receiver or tight end, but I think he's more of a wide receiver. He's not going to be one of those, you know, functional change of direction guys, but I think he has really solid hands. Uh, He made a lot of tightly contested, you know, plays. I think there's a future for him in the NFL. I really Like like Niles Paul? Niles Paul's not a bad not a bad um because he was tight end really I mean wide receiver turned tight end and he yeah, except, one. Except right, except Niles Paul is a better athlete also. But yeah, I, yeah. I get the yeah. I get okay. <laughs> um so I, I like Kajusta and I think he's a little bit underappreciated. Um okay. he'll probably go in you know he'll probably go lower than I would like him to, but probably in the right context. Uh and then just really quick, his teammate Aziz Shatu. Um Oh yeah. One of my one of my most underrated players, if I did an all underappreciated team, he would be on it. I think he can play, you know, under tackle or five tech. Um I think he would do well in a system like Green Bay, um or uh, or Baltimore. I think he's I think he's a five tech, uh, a heavy set five tech. Um I really like him a good bit. And then lastly, um Dean Lowry from uh from Northwestern. Oh yeah, right. really good guy, really good guy with some some nice length. Um, again, a five tech, and you know, DeForest Buckner's the uh, flavor of the of the week. I really like Buckner, but if, you know, if you're not going to get him, uh, you could do worse than getting Lowry. He's legit six six two ninety, and um, he likes to play football. For like a yeah. he's a football player. So. <laughs> Those are three guys yeah. I think that, you know, they could be senior bowl guys. Yeah, I agree. 
Let me mention a couple of NFLPA game guys that I'm excited about. Uh, first of all, uh, you know, not to be sort of prejudiced or whatever, but it's a guy that I have had I have had on the show, and I love I loved him before I had him on the show, and I continue to love him after I had him on the show. Uh, Greg Milhouse Jr. of Campbell, uh, Appalachian State transfer, is like a made-to-order uh, three-tech. He's sudden. He's strong. Uh, he played all over the place in his collegiate career. He's played everything in his collegiate career from, you know, sort of that four-I, played some three, played zero, some one. I mean, they played him all over the place. And, you know, even though he's not really built to hold the point, you know, and fight double teams, he's done it. And he's a, a powerful, violent young man, which is what you want. It's a good thing. Um, at least in terms of football, it's big, powerful, and violent. It's a good thing. And I think he's going to make an NFL roster and be, you know, not an immediate starter. I think he's going to have to be developed Maybe he might even have a practice squad at first, but I think at some point he will be at very least a rotational guy and possibly could be a starter. Um, Michael Jordan, the uh, the corner. Your boy. He's a good player. I mean, if you haven't checked his tape out, I urge you to do so. I've seen it. Yeah. It's impressive. He he's an impressive player. Um, the only reason that people don't talk more about him is they haven't seen it. And as people more more people see him, they'll talk about him more. Uh, it was hard to find any of his tape. His tape's not easy to find, but you know, it can be found if you if you're determined enough. Uh, I found it though. Yeah, it's out there. You know, like I said, it's out there. Uh, but he's a guy that I think is going to have a you know, going to get it done, have a nice impact, uh, do well, and. Uh, Josh Woodrum, who is, you know, probably, he's another guy that I think is going to at very least be a, a solid backup. Probably, that's probably what he will be. I think he's a reserve quarterback at the next level. But he has a lot of really good tape. Um, he's got enough size. He's probably about six, two and three quarters, about 229 pounds. Uh, strong arm, solid mechanics. Um, he beat out Danny Rocco, who had tra- down-transferred from uh, UVA, and people were sort of assuming that he was going to be the man when he got to Liberty, and then Rubrum came in and beat him out. And three-year starter, not much not to like, at least in my world, not much not to like. So, I'm very um, glad uh, you you brought him up, Bill, because yeah. it slipped my mind to ask you about him. I, I made a point to ask you about him. I got a tidbit of info the other day that he's getting some buzz as the mid-round quarterback that's going to come off the board first. Um, and I and I was unaware of him. You know, I'm I'm always the last guy for these small school guys. But uh, I was told uh, not to be surprised when his name is called in the mid-rounds above some of the guys that we're currently projecting. So yeah. one thing about Bill, he loves small school guys. Well, uh, here's so what it is. I, I try to uh, treat I, them all the same. That's that's the only thing. It's not, I don't. It's not so much that I. I just want to treat every prospect the way they should be treated, no matter where they went to school. That's my goal. But yeah, he's a player. Um, he's tough. You know, he, he's a guy that's not afraid to hang in there. He's got, like I said, good mechanics. You can tell that he's actually played some under center. Turner Gill, 
was his coach, who obviously was a very fine quarterback himself. In Absolutely. Absolutely. So that helped him. That helped him, too. He's a guy that if I'm a team that needs to upgrade their, their – which most teams fall into this category, but needs to upgrade their backup quarterback. You know, there's only a handful of teams that don't fall into this category. And if I don't have a desperate need in another position and I'm on the board in the middle fourth, yeah, he's in the discussion at that point. Uh, tell people where people can find and follow your work, uh, Mr. Shane Alexander. Where can people find your stuff? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Alexander One Great, and uh, you can find my work now at InsideThePylon.com. Excellent. Um, first of all, congratulations. That's rapidly becoming a, a favorite of mine inside the pylon. They do great work. Absolutely. It was uh, it was one of the things where we all are aspiring to be McShay and Kuiper and you know Ted Thompson, but we're not there yet, right? So uh, I, I we talked and I said, you know, hey, look, I can only give you so much time per week, per month, but if that's okay, then let's let's roll with it. And um, so yeah, it's a good marriage. I'm excited about it. I'll be down at the Senior Bowl next week. If I'm not on your show uh, beforehand, I will be mm-hmm. at the Senior Bowl next Friday, Saturday. And I'll still be down in Mobile Sunday. So I will be right. scouting at the Senior Bowl next weekend. If you're doing a show, I can probably find yeah. 10 minutes to call in next week. Yeah. Give you a rapid fire. Uh, oh. So I will be at the Senior Bowl with the Inside the Pylon crew. Yeah. And so that's going to be great. And uh, <laughs> looking forward to that. Well, I'll be looking for some on the spot, then, you know, some takes from Mobile. Perfect. Oh, before you uh, go, I want to get your Championship Sunday pick. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Hold on. Hold, um, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, just real quick, I'll do it. I'm not going to bet against Brady and Belichick with that, uh, that offensive <laughs> yeah. back rolling. Harris right. may be out. Roby may be out. And so that defense goes down a tick for Denver. And then it's not disrespect to Cam or the Panthers. I just love what what the, the Cardinals have done. Yeah. Um, I'm, not, I'm not going to be mad either way. But I'm, I'm going to go uh, Cardinals and, and Patriots. Perfect. Isaiah, since you've made yourself a presence, uh, tell people where you can find and follow your work, sir. Uh, currently, I have left uh, House Sports Report. Uh, I'm currently in the process of working with Mr. Uh, Russell Baxter uh, for uh, end zone or spin zone or whatever it is. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I'm in the process of talking to him about uh, doing some work for him. Okay. And last but certainly not least, Mr. James Coburn, tell people to find your work and follow you, sir. Uh, sure. Uh, you can find my work at... Uh, <clears throat> draftcoburn.wordpress.com uh, and you can also follow me on Twitter at capital J little M little C little, oh, little B little E little I little N1 and uh, yeah I put up a bunch of uh, player profiles uh, today on the wide receivers and quarterbacks uh, marvelous Bert, work by the way uh, yeah uh, and uh, top rookie Linebackers, a, bu- a bunch of stuff. So, um, you know, so uh, I'll be going on to more safety kind of stuff later on, and uh, yeah, tight ends stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so that 
mainly Metro profile kind of stuff is on there. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. And uh, it was great talking with you guys, and especially you, know, you, Bill, and we'll probably talk again tomorrow sometime. We we will. We will do this show, this show again in one week. We will have uh, great Ike. Um, we will oh, have by the way, Fabian I might Garrett. have Mike Dempsey be calling in. Remember Mike Dempsey? Yeah. Yes, yes. You may be so, calling in from the Senior Bowl as well. Okay, great. Um, so we'll have some prospect guests on in the morning. Uh, we will be doing this show again in one week, and I thank you all for your time, your talents, and your attention. We are done. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.